What's up, libationaires, libationistas, libation nation nerds? Look, we all want optionality. Sometimes we don't feel like regular old libations that minute, that day, that week, that month, or maybe we're simply living an alcohol-free lifestyle. With Plif's flavor-forward lineup of classic cocktail-inspired THC drinks and bevies, there's something for everyone. Classic vices made nice and perfectly dosed with THC for any social occasion. Plift is BIPOC founded and committed to equity in our industry and our community as a whole. Follow us on socials at drinkplift or head to plift.com and check out our store locator for our ever expanding list of partners. And now, without further ado, here's Charles and some nerd named BQ. Then I'm also Very like, that. that means we can do more drinking. <laughs> yeah, then I start doing the math in my head. I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten for 20 hours. That yeah. sounds like a wonderful idea. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, uh, Max Industrial is one of my favorite late night food spots. There's a ton of shit on the menu that I really like. But I literally just did not have an appetite. So I was just watching all this food go out. I kept thinking like, gee, you should probably have some of those yeah. foods. Mm-hmm. But just didn't. And then yeah. I came home and was absolutely about to make some late night food. And then all of my options were pretty terrible for me. And I like somehow got, I like talked myself out of it because you've had a lot of calories already today. You don't need that. And I'm like, well, actually, I probably did need that. Yeah. That probably would have been good for me. Yeah. But yeah, we had a, we had a, a half eaten pizza in the fridge and some leftover pasta. And I was like, dude, I don't need that at two in the morning. I feel you. Well, yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. We back. We made it safely from our first Libations for Everyone excursion. Yeah, baby. We're back in the classy confines of Club Caraway after uh, an adventure of a lifetime. Truly. Truly was. Yeah. And this particular episode is just the two of us. And the idea here is it's a retrospective of not just the trip that we were on, but this is our Three-year anniversary! Beow, beow, beow. Three years of LFE. We're celebrating with this particular episode. You gotta sprinkle it. You gotta sprinkle that. Oh, no, I hit some curb. <laughs> you did? Sprinkle it, then! They're both, like, different, different shades of pink, so it's like... Uh, one is more of a lavender, and the other is more mm. of a fuchsia. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. See, I wouldn't know that, because I'm not in the design world. I'm trying to learn <laughs> my... Um, I... I I've always done this when when my partner is into something and I'm not or knows something about it and I don't. I really like to try and learn more. And that's been one of the fascinating things, uh, having a wife in interior design, is like there are so many more names for colors that I've never heard in my life. There are too many names. I prefer to just give them their Pantone number. Which I know every every one of them. I'm very down with that. I, I, it's one of my favorite accounts that I follow <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. Because they just put out it. Or no, I guess it's Twitter that I follow. But every day, it's just the color of the day. And it's just that color with its serial number. It makes me very happy. At the Design Museum in Copenhagen, there was this one particular room where there was, you probably saw it when you passed through, there different artifacts in different windows that had primary colors. And I was like, ooh, Pantones. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was actually a fascinating experience um, because uh, f- for those of you listening, we had six of us there and four people went through the whole museum and then Drew and I went through the museum after you guys were done. But then Charles, you and your wife left and then we met up with 
Dewey and Haley, our other traveling counterparts. And uh, we've all talked about the museum, but we didn't have that experience together. Mm-hmm. It's just really strange to me because yeah. Dewey and Haley, like we hung out for another couple hours together. And so like we did more things. I, I don't know. It's just, it's very strange that we were all in the museum within about 45 minutes of each other, but we just yeah, missed each other completely. shortly behind one another. I didn't even posted a photo of those little, um, those little the bottles, the little medical bottles. Yeah. And you're like, I took the exact same photo <laughs> like an hour later. Uh, let's talk about uh, what we're, what we're consuming. Can I real quick, uh, my other crazy experience. So we're, we're in the museum. The of, only other one. Yeah. <laughs> the museum of modern design. Isn't that what it was called? I think it's called design museum. One word. Okay. Right. Is that, I mean, I'll look it up right now. While you're yeah, that's probably it. Um, but we're going through and, uh, you know, again, having a wife in interior design, uh, a lot of the stuff that they were looking at, a lot of it is is her aesthetic. And I've seen a lot of those chairs. And if you look around her office, which is it also... Is. It design is. Design Museum, one word, Denmark. Perfect. Um, it looked a lot like the... Jenny's office is a showroom. And so it looked a lot like that. So mm. I was kind of like... It was trippy to like walk through and see that. And then randomly right in the middle of it was a picture of the dorm from my sophomore year in college. Uh, I didn't realize that that building was designed by a Danish uh, designer. And so, you know, you're just looking at all these really cool chairs and then these insane, beautiful, mid-century modern mansions. And then literally a photo of my actual dorm room. Uh, and wow, it just like my, my brain completely broke for just a second. Yeah, that's like, bizarre. what the fuck? But it makes sense because that building, it, it doesn't look like anything else on campus. And I'm sure that there's probably somewhere that they've talked about that and I just didn't go or didn't listen. How far from the museum? Well, no, it wouldn't be there. It would be in Norway, obviously, right? So that's, that makes it even... No, I'm more. talking about St. John's here in Minnesota. Oh, well, that's also even, even, even more bizarre. Yeah. St. John's. I was thinking of when you were in school in Norway. No, it was crazy. Like I, it, and again, it, it makes sense because it does look very much like that 60s and 70s what? Scandinavian design. But yeah, just a trip. And the fact that the photo of the building was of my actual dorm room. Like they had like seven or eight rooms that they took a picture of. Okay. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I lived there for a year. Wow. So everything in the world has been conspiring to get me to Scandinavia, apparently. It, I, it would seem so. But yes. So uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. So... Um, Near the end of our trip, we were fortunate enough to have a bartender who was really excited about a couple of Americans that love Akavit and kind of walked us through a whole bunch of stuff. We tried a bunch of different brands, but one of the things he pulled out, there is a distillery in Copenhagen called the Copenhagen Distillery, um, and they make a number of different flavors of Akavit. Um, they had a, a licorice Akavit that I almost bought. Uh, really reminded me of, of like the best anisette. Like, it was yeah. really fucking awesome. Mm. But then I tried this one, and I, I had to, if I could only pick one, because I had already bought some other stuff, if I yeah. could only pick one, right. uh, this was the one that I went with. So it's it's mulberry rose akavit. So it's uh, mulberries, rose petals, and then they augment it to get a little bit of that color with raspberries and then a hint of dill. And it's everything that I love about drinking akavit in the summer. Yeah, and most people, like the layman, would not uh, associate this color with an Akavit because nope. it's such a rich copper color. It looks like it could be a, a whiskey. I'm excited to try it. Let's yeah, do it. Skull. Skull. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Very delicate. Mm -hmm. More delicate than I expected, actually. Yeah, that on, uh, like, I, I wouldn't use this in a cocktail. Not that I like, I, like, it's not that it's too nice or anything. I just think it'll get stepped on in a cocktail. But Absolutely. that on ice is just sublime. Mm. It was a beautiful digestive after a day of shawarma and hot dogs. Where and did you procure this from? Uh, we went bar hopping, and I don't even remember the name of the bar. We Wait, you got this in Copenhagen? Yeah, I got it in Copenhagen. Okay. Um, we had another... Uh, our friends Dewey and Haley that I was referencing uh, were staying at a really nice hotel that had a gorgeous bar. And that bartender introduced me to a uh, caviar-washed dill vodka, or dill akavit. Uh, and yeah, I spent quite a while. For that. Yeah, but uh, it's only available at the distillery. Yes, so. that uh, the, the shopkeep at this uh, spirits shop in Copenhagen while we were wandering on um, the last day we were all together um, before we parted ways was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to find that. It's super low yield, and uh, you'd be lucky to get it directly from the distillery. And so I think, actually, in a way, that's a reprieve because it means you can stop hunting. Like, oh, thank you for the information. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm really, like, of course it sucks to not be able to find something that you want, but it absolutely did. It stopped me from hunting for that, and then I opened up my eyes a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I ended up bringing home a beautiful bottle of Oldenburg uh, Dill, Akavit, and then this one. Right. Alongside this, we are drinking some Carlsberg, Holler. which uh, is very on brand. The, the interesting thing about this is my mother-in-law, prior to us departing, the day before we set sail for our trip, gifted us a six-pack of this. Marnie went over to, to visit them and to drop the dog off, and um, I was unable to, to attend with her, and she came back with this and said, hey, our... Um, uh, my mom thought that we would enjoy some of these. Uh, do you want one right now? And I said, I do not. But you know when I'm really going to want one? When we get back from our trip. Yes. And we're longing for where we just were. I think that's when it's going to hit the spot. She's like, good point. Yep. And uh, so we, we, we had a couple of them. And then I brought the rest for our recording here today. And it takes me right back to us drinking until 4, 4.35 a.m. every night when we're in fucking Copenhagen where it's only dark this time of year for like three hours, yeah. four hours. Max. Sun, sunset was around 11, 1130. Yeah. And then sunrise was about three fifteen, three thirty. 30. And there's this beautiful, like slow glow. Like Ugh. the sunset is seemingly slower. It feels like it lasts forever. And, you know, we had a particular evening where, uh, a dinner mate that I had for, uh, alchemist. Cause I had four tickets and I found two people. One was a, a Copenhagen local former chef, clearly very accomplished as well. His name is Benjamin. He, uh, he, we, we're trying to figure out when we should, or what we should do next after being out at bars all night. And he said, you know what we do here? We go to a convenience store and we buy a bunch of cans of beer and we go stand on a fucking bridge. Specifically 7-Eleven. I do love 7-Eleven. He, he kept saying 7-Eleven. And I, for some reason, I just thought that was so funny. So he went to 7-Eleven with um, my wife and a couple other people. And I went to a shawarma shop with Dewey and double fisted <laughs> chicken shishkamoot sandwich in one hand and then a, a beef shawarma in the other hand. After having been at Alchemist, by the way, a 50, 50, 50 experience. What do they call it? 50, um, God, impressions. Yeah, 50, 50 impressions. impressions. It's not 50 courses, but it's a lot. It's like 30 courses. But this is later in the evening, and they also don't overload you. It sounds like a lot of food, but it actually isn't that much. And this is after drinking for the rest of the evening. And this place smelled so incredible that I had to have two of these sandwiches. 
And I had to force Quam to taste the one that I didn't finish because so, he was like, I'm not hungry. I'm like, I, I don't so care. so indignant. I'm like, I'm not going to eat your fucking sandwich. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> eat the sandwich. It was, it was the most LFE moment. It was such a perfect libations yeah. for everyone moment because Benya and I both bought beer. And Marnie, your wife, was so smart because she bought two big ass things of Bottles water. Of water, right. Brilliant. Uh, and we, we had cracked the cans and then I just look over and I just saw Charles with the biggest grin on his face just holding two sandwiches <laughs> and just crushing one of them. Like like the Rancor eating the Gamorrean guard. Yeah. And then, yeah, and, and I reluctantly took a bite, and then I think with my mouth full said, oh, that's a pretty fucking good chicken yeah. sandwich. No, here's, okay, what happened is I asked you probably four times. Yeah. No, I didn't ask you any of those times. I told you four times. Eat the sandwich. Take a bite of that fucking sandwich, will you? Or eat the rest of this. And you were like, dude, I don't, I'm not hungry. I don't want it. And I was like, come on. And then, like, the fourth time, I was like, just, just taste it. Just take a bite. And you were like, all right, fine. And you took a bite, and you were like, God damn it! I think that's the best just <laughs> sandwich I've ever had. Like, legitimately. <laughs> that legitimately, that was, that was one of the best, one of the best uh, bites of a sandwich I've had in a long time. And that's like a future story, obviously, for a podcast of this, uh, this nature, because... We tried to figure out the next day where it was. Yep. And I don't even think it's on maps. Nope. And so we were trying to plot out where the 7-Eleven was, where the agave bar was, and where that shop was. And we think we figured it out, but at least I know that even if I can't call them out by, by name, I know where it's located. So if ever I am back in Copenhagen, or rather when I am back in Copenhagen, I will go to that agave bar again, and I will find that place when I depart from the agave bar, and I will once again dual-wield motherfucking sandwich i really love i love those places where you find them and then they like don't exist the next day like in my head it's always like you finally find the street you walk down it and there's just an old guy whittling something he's like yes that's all been closed 40 years yes you're like no i was just here last night and then you look and he's gone too it's just like dust in the wind (laughs) yeah exactly i really there are places like that around the world for me where i've tried to go back and find it again and i just can't and it's fun having those memories. There's something like, romantic about that. Yeah. But it's also, I realize on this trip, it's also a self-inflicted wound because I take, you know, my type A ass takes so many notes on trips. And I was actually trying to be a little more diligent about uh, recording places that we visited, even if it was just a quick stop by for a, a Sammy somewhere, just because you don't, you don't have to do that. You can know where you were. And so I was trying to be a little more deliberate about tracking uh, experiences like that so that I could someday say, well, that place is on this street. And if ever I should go back and they're still there, then I can have that same experience again. We had a fair amount of booze in our systems at that point, though. I, I feel like sometimes the the rigors of life get pushed away to just, like, having fun. And I'm, Fair amount is fair to state. Yeah. That's why I had two fucking sandwiches, <laughs> one in each hand, like an asshole. <laughs> it was so great, too, because, like, you guys all just kept kind of wandering off and getting into cabs and going home. And Drew and I ended up sitting on the bridge with uh, with him until with Benya until like five, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, it was beautiful there. The water was still so. That was the stillest it had been. Like it was crystal clear, reflecting the rest of the city. The sun was still sort of falling behind the 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 horizon, like honey dipping on a piece of toast. It was Mm -hmm. beautiful, and I think that. Well, at that point, honestly, I had to leave because I had to piss. <laughs> it sounds crude, but there's no, you're standing on a bridge. Yep. It's kind of like, that was for me the timer. I was like, well, it's at that point, I don't know, 3.30, 3.45. I was like, I think we just got to get 
back so that I can use the facilities. Mm-hmm. And also, that's pretty late for Marnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't stay out late every night, but she did stay out late that night. And as Ephra mentioned, she was chugging water at that point. So I was like, all right, this seems like a good time for us to depart. But what a what a great night. And that was great for that to be the, the evening that, that the broader group of this collective of people that had become a part of this nucleus over that week uh, were all in the same place. Mm-hmm. That was such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, uh, the photo that we got of all of us. It's, it's a great example of, you know, Charles, that was the first time that you and I have traveled together, but it was kind of a great example of what you and I have talked about a lot in the show of single serving friends or rest of my life friends. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know yet but they absolutely were wonderful additions to our world while we were there and humans that I, I do truly hope that I get to see again. Um, you know, just being, being around people, it makes your world so much bigger and it's smaller at the same time because you find these commonalities with people whose backgrounds are wildly different than yours. Um, but you find these things that you bond over, whether it's high-end restaurants and bars or it's jokes, or it's, you know, just the insanity of the world right now. I yep. mean, we had, we, had, th- we had a discussion that went from which hot dog stand was the best to is fascism on the rise to who has the funniest accent when they're speaking English. And yeah. it, was, it was fluid the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, there, was no, there were no left and right turns. That was just a casual very normal conversation yeah no breaks we and, cut, we oh, cut the break lines yeah and it was, was just it was so great like libations for everyone yeah exactly and i mean you know we'll d- we'll dig into our topics of conversation but uh you know the reason this sort of like uh motley crew started to kind of cobble together was we'll deliver the unfortunate news that Quam and and um, drew had a flight canceled and they discovered they were going to be unable to attend noma which yep. was like that was i was like it was I can only imagine how they felt because it was a stab to the heart for me after we had worked so hard to put this trip together. I was like, fuck. And we were sitting at this cafe and for everything to work out just the way that it did, yeah. it's, it's just, it shows you like the power of serendipity. Yeah. We were sitting at a cafe and we arrived late because our clocks were off. Um, so we got to a cafe later. It's a cafe called Cub in uh, Copenhagen, which is the nicest cafe on my list that was closest to the hotel. And we were sitting outside and it was raining and we were like barely protected from the rain. And we received the news from Quam that they weren't going to make it. We we're like, fuck. So first thing I did is I posted on Reddit. Second thing I did is walk down into a quiet corner in the cafe and I called Noma and s- try to see if there's anything they could do knowing that they were probably going to say there wasn't. And then I kindly asked them to put my friends on their waiting list if they could do that and maybe prioritize them because they were heartbroken and then the next thing I did is emerged back outside where it was sort of like the sun was breaking. And Marnie and I were just finishing up our pastries and coffee. And just across the stairway was another table with the only other people with the bravery to sit outside with all the rain uh, pouring down around us just shortly prior. And the four people sitting there were all native English speakers and most of them seemed like they were Americans. And they remarked, oh, all these, all these stools are wet. Marnie said, well, the stools we have here are not wet. You can have them. We're just about to leave and handed them the stools. And one of us, I think it was Marnie, said, well, where are you all from? They started to tell us a couple of them were from D.C. They moved to U.K. And their friends that they were with said, um, 
uh, what, we were saying, what we said to them, like, what are you going to do on your trip? And their friend said, well, they love fine dining, so they're definitely going to find some good meals. And I, off the cuff, said, have you been to or are you planning to go to Noma? And they said, uh, no, we would love to, never been. Uh, obviously not going to happen. They're closing this year, aren't they? And I said, would you like to come to Noma tonight? And they looked at each other totally baffled by the question that I just posed to them and looked back at me and they said, what is that supposed to mean? I said, you're not going to believe this. But I just found out that we have some unfortunate circumstances, um, which might be fortunate for you. Yeah. Two seats at my table of eight tonight at Noma at 5.15 p.m., which at this point was six hours later. And they were like, a little breathless trying to figure out what to say. And they basically said, oh, we're supposed to go out with our friends. And the friends, those are the friends that they were with. And the friends they were with were like, are you fucking kidding? Go. And I said, I'll tell you what, here's my number. What's at me? You guys can talk about it while I'm not standing right here. Because I'm not trying to guilt you into going to Noma, which is kind of a funny thing to even say. (laughs) And they said, we'll let you know. And I said, sure. But a half hour later, uh, Chase, who is the, the, the husband of that couple, shot me a message and said, we'll take those tickets. And I was like, wow, what a bizarre set of circumstances that like the people we're sitting next to ended up after being delivered that news ended up being the people who, who came with us. And then from there on forth, we spent the whole week hanging out with them and their friends and then kind of a broader group of friends and then some people that I went to Alchemist with. So it ended up like that sometimes life just has a way of, of telling you what your experience is going to be despite your best attempts to mm-hmm. to have things be exactly the way that you would like for them to be it was <clears throat> you know obviously my my experience is a little bit different um but it was I, I the thing that I think that I've come back to the most from that that whole ordeal was I'm really <clears throat> you know there's times where I don't feel like I've grown up there's times where I still feel like I'm I'm a child and you know I'm immature about things and whatnot and uh that night when I was putting my head on the pillow to go to bed. I just kept thinking like, you know, 15 years ago, I, I would have done some self-destructive shit about that. I would have been too mad and it would have been the world's against me and I hate it all. And it still sucked. I mean, full stop. The whole point of that trip was to go to Noma and the fact that we've talked about it so much and then Drew and I still didn't get to go. Right. That will suck forever. But, um, you know, when we found out, so when we got on our plane to fly to Europe, everything was looking good and then when we landed when we turned our phones off of airplane mode drew and i both got notifications that not only was our flight delayed but it was canceled and we walked into the airport from the plane and i watched the board flip 40 flights to canceled like there was just there was no getting out they basically got hit with a like a a tropical storm and so they had straight line winds planes just couldn't come in or out and you know, we had to take a few deep breaths and then like it was, the world was just sort of like trying to teach me a few lessons and uh, Drew and I got put on different planes. So I was supposed to fly out that night. He was supposed to fly out the next morning. So I had asked, I was like, oh, I'm not going to leave my guy. So uh, I'm going to do, if you don't mind waiting, Drew, uh, I'm going to wait in line to see if they can get me bumped to your flight tomorrow Drew found a couple of hotels that were relatively cheap that were kind of in the middle of the, the city in Amsterdam. So we were just going to have a night in Amsterdam. Right. And uh, so basically the way that KLM was doing it was there, you couldn't, it was not a phone number to call or anything. There was like a, it was like a holding pen 
uh, a holding cell with five gate agents that were helping people get rebooked. Because, I mean, it was chaos. People traveling all over the world were all just stuck in Amsterdam. Yep. So we got in line, and uh, they said it's probably going to be at least an hour. I said, cool. Ended up being a little bit more than that. And um, I always do this. I don't know if any of you out there do this, folks, but, uh, like, I'll watch, like, bank teller lines or at a supermarket. I'll watch the checkout lines. I try to do a little bit of math on, like, who I think is is killing it the best. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching these five um, uh, ticket counter agents, there was one that was just killing it. She was moving people at at least twice the speed of everybody else. And I was just quietly, like, trying to will it into the world that that's where we would end up. And, you know, there were some people who it was very clear, like this was a pretty important, whatever their flight was, it was very important to them. We saw a lot of tears. We saw a lot of anger. Um, and what I didn't see was anybody being nice. So right. when, when we walked up, I said, hey, first of all, I just want to say, I think you're absolutely killing it. This is a really terrible thing that you have to go through. And I'm assuming that nobody's being very nice judging from facial expressions. So first, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, I know that you're going to do whatever you can to help us, but it means a lot. Mm-hmm. And she just lit up. Like, holy fuck. All it took yeah. was a little kindness. It was 15 right. seconds of my He's day. like, even though I personally cancel all 40 flights, you've been so kind to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, she ended up, she looked up both of our tickets, and she said that she could actually get us out earlier. Um, together on the same flight for a second it seemed as though we would actually be in town in time to theoretically make noma but we wouldn't have had our baggage and the reservations were already gone so that would have been the biggest kick in yeah that would have been that would have been brutal but uh we got on the five o'clock flight and uh you know she she hooked me up she got me uh uh, exit row seat with extra leg room yeah, yeah. and all that. And it so was you actually made it in, in good time to just get, get there. Correct. Well, we still got then um, the wind kicked back up again. So we got delayed on the tarmac for two more hours. Mm, right. Uh, but we did finally get out of there. We got and, there that evening still. Yep, we got there that evening and uh, Drew and I had agreed that we just weren't going to say the word Noma for the rest of the night. And uh, we were going to go somewhere and have a drink. And, and we tried not to remark it either. <laughs> no, we, you guys were great. Be, you know, there's a fresh wound. So we were like, let's just kind of sit on it for a while. But we went, to, uh, we went to a bar called Bird. And it was a bar that came recommended by a number of people, including our last guest, Phil. Uh, Philip told us that we needed to check that place out and walked in. And the one time that I said Noma was when the bartender asked what we were doing. And I explained what had happened. Yeah. And also could not have been kinder. Uh, just rolled out the red carpet for us. It's a beautiful bar. It's all centered around the most gorgeous DJ setup I've ever seen. Uh, the Tech 12s were inlaid in this beautiful light wood bar. They have a custom mixer that was built for them by a company that I adore. And they had 1,400 records. And the DJ was like, bro, just start picking out records, man. Let's, let's put on some tunes that'll make you happy. And for those of you that have listened to a lot of these episodes, like, I don't know if there's a kinder thing that anybody could do. Like, for that guy to take a complete stranger and just say, go on back there, just dig through my records and, and find stuff that you want. So we ended up, we put together a pretty amazingly curated list of jazz and, um, and jazzy hip-hop. And we just nodded our heads for, like, three hours, just crushing on drinks they sent us home with a bottle of of their uh, penicillin their their cocktail mm-hmm. uh, just as a way of like hey we just we're glad, glad we could help salvage a tough day yeah 
Um, but then that next night when we got to meet up with everybody, like I just kept feeling like how lucky, you know, like not only did, did the reservations get taken care of, so we weren't out money, but we got friends. We got human beings. Played the hand you were dealt. Yeah. And, yeah. and if there's one bit of advice, and it's, this isn't easy to do, but if there's one bit of advice that I could throw out to everybody out there listening, it's roll with the punches and just try and make the best with what you got. There's always going to be, I've never, I'm 43 years old. I have never, ever had a flight get canceled. Uh, I honestly have said it a few times. Like that shit just doesn't happen to me. And that it caught up with me on probably the most important timing wise day. The one time that it couldn't happen. Yeah. Right? The one time that it couldn't happen is the time that it did. But it also made me realize how fortunate I am or that at least I've, the time you wish the most. That it yeah. Happened. Not that it couldn't, but right. that you wish the most that it would not happen. But I've, I've, uh, a lot of people have to deal with that shit. You know, it is what it is. Absolutely. And yeah, someone missed the, the grandma's birthday or a the yeah. funeral of some sort or something, yep. you know. Uh, and I, you know, I will say that there was a part of me that was like, wow, they, they have to meet the people who took their seats. But there's such wonderful people that we would have never had the experience. All of us no. would not have had the experience of spending all that time with this wonderful couple mm -hmm. if not for what happened so it's well, just playing uh, the hand you're dealt yep and then later on you know a few days later their friends brought us to some bars that we never would have found before mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was a great experience and when i think back on a, a few of those late nights it was having conversations with that group that right. i'll i'll remember forever you know i said it when i posted that group photo yeah because uh the the photo you were um referencing just a few moments ago uh, was the group photo of all of us that were at that agave bar on the last night and barking dog, right? Barking dog, barking dog. Great bar. They were so excited when I knew what Satola and Ricea were like the, <laughs> the bartender ended up. So she poured me a Ricea and I took a sip out of it. And then I ordered one for Sophie, um, who was of the couple that came with the Sonoma. And then after I took a sip, she said, how was I? I said, fantastic, the bartender. And so she leaned over the bar and poured so much in my glass that it overflowed and spilled all the way down my arm off of my elbow. And I was like, is this baptism by agave? And she was like, I guess it is. I didn't realize I poured so much. And I was like, well, I don't mind because it actually smells good. <laughs> At least it's not a cheesy one. My favorite know? was, was <laughs> so I didn't know that any of that had happened because yeah. we had just, you know, we had walked in and it was, it was chaos. Yeah. And we were just trying to figure out like the lay of the land. <laughs> you just turned around to me and you go, smell my arm. <laughs> I was like, what? You're like, smell my arm. Smell my arm, Guam. <laughs> it was very much like the sandwich. I said no a couple times and then you're like, just yeah. smell it. And then I yeah. smelled it. I'm like, oh, it smells yeah. really good. Not the first time he's told me to smell something. Exactly. Each time it's been pleasant. So yeah. I guess every time I ask you, you better just do it the first I'm, time. I'm in. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, shit, why don't we cheers and, yeah, let's and do it. get into the thick of things? Because yep. we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, no, fuck that. We have something else to talk about before we talk about the talks about. Let's go, girls. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Drop it on them. Well, we... Uh, We've been working three long years. It, it, that's stretching credulity to say working because <laughs> we love this so much. And we always said that this thing was going to pay off if it paid off and that the only way we would ever profit from this thing or the only reason to ever profit from this thing would be for us to pour more energy into it. And 
this podcast has been a qualified success and we don't like to talk about the business machinations. I know that means nothing to you as a listener, but a thing that we said is that we would only collect sponsors if there were things we could personally vouch for Mm -hmm. that were applicable to the context of the program that you're listening to. And we are proud to say that uh, we have a new sponsor. Suntory. Woo! Uh, we're we're so thrilled because we have been we've been very very careful. We've been approached by uh, other distilleries and, and families of distilleries uh, to date, and we've bet on ourselves. We sort of hedged. We're like, yeah, we're yeah. gonna do it someday, but we'll do it when the timing's right. And we're three years in, and this program with underpinnings in which we consume spirits together finally has a sponsor that if you ask me for my money and for most people's money, almost objectively so, can you think of a house that it is more esteemed for the spirits catalog that they maintain than Beam Suntory? And we're privileged to say that they're now a sponsor of Libations for Everyone. It's <clears throat> it, it there the prestige that comes with that family of spirits is so wild and so disparate. It gives us a lot of uh, like open endedness to decide what we want to do, and it also got me the phrase "box of booze" texted to me, which I got really <laughs> excited about because anytime you get in a box of booze, that's good. That's never a bad phrase. Never a bad phrase. But yeah, uh, the team here in Minnesota, I've worked with on a lot of different things going back to my time in in bars and nightclubs. Um, uh, A couple of the people that run the program here are are wonderful friends, including former Former guests, uh, Melly Mrozak on the podcast. Uh, She she helped kind of usher this whole thing into existence. And uh, I I can't thank her enough for all her work as well. Uh, And we're just really looking forward to where this takes us. Absolutely. So happy birthday to us. What a fucking fantastic gift. Uh, And we are so honored and privileged, not just for that, but for your listenership, your patronage of this program. And none of this is possible without you. Correct. And we're happy you're along for the ride, whether this is the first episode you listen to or you've been listening to us for three years. And we hope that you'll listen to us for the next three years and beyond. Fuck yeah. I also, uh, I don't know if you've been watching me. I, I, this is the first time I've ever not been able to make a cigar work. I do not know what I'm doing wrong. Is it not drawing? It's not drawing at all. Then it's, it might just be a piece of shit. Yeah, it could be. Is, <laughs> it, is it tight and it just won't, it won't produce smoke? It literally won't stay lit. Like, I can't get Ooh, any of it. I can't okay. get any draw. So for anybody out there that's a novice at smoking cigars, I am as well. And uh, yeah, this is the first time I've just not even been able to make it work. So here we are. You gotta, you gotta know when to hold them. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes so we're gonna fold that one. Gotta, sometimes you just gotta get rid of it because occasionally that is the case. All right. Let's yeah. uh, let's cheers to all of the above. Bing. A B C and D. Hmm. I love that. Our dear friend, Nathan Beck, many time guest of the pod, is chilling in the room with us here, down in the uh, the chambers at Club Caraway. Just cheers with us. Let's get after it. God damn, I love Carlsberg. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. 
Okay, who's up to bat? You are. I'm up to bat. Me! All right, topic number one. And also, I want to just preface this and say that these topics are not... We're usually very diligent about the topics being applicable to all listeners. So I would say if you want to contextualize these topics, contextualize them to like your last trip mm-hmm. because otherwise they aren't going to necessarily make a lot of sense to just everyday life. But I'll just kind of add that as sort of a, you know, the magic shell over the ice cream. Yeah. Just consider that for all these topics because we're going to talk about our trip. Okay, so Quam, what's something new you learned about flavors? I hope I snipe you on this one. <clears throat> Bastard. Because we've talked about it so much. Doubt it. Uh, doubt it too, but, <laughs> but you hope <laughs> I, I, when I got back from Bogota, Colombia, all I could think about was that I had learned a new definition of what like citrus fruit means. Mm. I had learned yeah. like there were, you know, when I asked for an orange juice and all he said, which orange, you yeah. know, like that kind of shit. Yeah. Scandinavia did that to me with strawberries, bro. Really? I have never, ever Come close to enjoying a strawberry. The ruined forest. The way that I enjoyed strawberries in two different settings, in two different countries. Yeah. yeah. Like, we had the dish at Yodnar was one of the most perfect things I've ever had in my life. The absolutely beautiful meal that we did enjoy together. Correct, that we did enjoy together. Um, in such an incredible setting, of course, it's just jaw-dropping and breathtaking. But that dish served to me on a paper plate in a back alley would be one of my favorite dishes. Absolutely. And I really thought that maybe that was just, it was just because we were in this absolutely incredible restaurant with the absolute best hospitality and the the chef who, the only guy in Europe that gets like live langoustines and all this stuff. Like I thought yeah. maybe that was it. And then um, at the end of our trip, Drew and I hopped a train and went to Malmo, uh, Sweden. And we ate at a restaurant called Ruth's and they made us very on brand yeah. for Drew. Well, so that's what's funny. Uh, I, this was the meal that I didn't really get a chance to tell you about. Yeah, I didn't know. Or that. I was kind of trying to save it. We yeah. went. Th- so my travel companion is a good, good friend of mine for twenty plus years. Um, he's the corporate bar standards trainer for Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and I saw that there was a restaurant called Ruth's, and I thought it would be really funny for us to go take a picture. Uh, and send it to his boss. Like, literally, that was the point. We walk up, and it just smells incredible. So we go in, and all the tables are full, but the bar is completely open. So we sit at the bar, and it's lovely open kitchen. So we're there's one bartender, but all the cooks are back there, too. So we're just watching all the food go out. Yeah. The dessert that they made us, they make their own. So they get these beautiful, small Scandinavian strawberries, then they make a strawberry sorbet out of that. And to order, they when you order the dessert, they take that and they smash it with the back of the ice cream scoop into semifredo. And then they top it with... Hold up, let me ask you real quick Yeah, for a clarification. Was it the same kind of pencil eraser, alpine strawberries, like Correct. the little pointy boys? So they had those guys and they had these plump, kind of big, a little bit bigger than your thumb um, other strawberries. Oh, so they had multiple. They had multiple strawberries. Yeah, and just to just to point out uh, these these alpine strawberries, which I believe that is the genus we've defined from something I posted from a dessert that I had because I had them twice. I had them in France as well. Uh, I posted a photo and someone remarked, uh, "I believe those are alpine strawberries. They're very tiny and very pointy. Mm-hmm. Literally the size and shape of. Remember when you'd put a pencil if you're of a certain age." On a, if you put an eraser on top of a pencil yep. end, that is like the sort of a beveled funny, edge. Yeah, yep. it's it's like that size and shape. Yeah, 
That's honestly, that's a really great way to put it. That's absolutely it. So it was those plus a little bit plumper, rounder ones. Okay. Um, so they smash the sorbet into the semifredo in a bowl, and then they top it with me a semifredo talking about this. Hey. And then they top it with um, <laughs> they baked pistachios with uh, honey and salt. Mama mia! And they top it with that, and then they cut fresh strawberries and put it on top of that with a couple mint leaves and a little basil leaf. And once again. That was the best, like, I had two of the best strawberries I've ever had, and third place isn't even on the same fucking page. Straight up. Like, those two desserts, and I'm, we've talked about it a lot on the show, I am not a dessert person. That is not something that I, honestly, I would rather have one more savory course or go eat somewhere else later on than do a dessert, but I was- There's credence to, like, my whole theory that desserts, uh, and we can get some fine desserts in the United States, too. If you're in a good restaurant, you're going to get probably some good desserts, but sometimes they're, even then, they're a little overly sweet, but- Man, in Europe and like the Middle East and, you know, like probably in Morocco as well. Mm -hmm. When when they compose desserts, they're not thinking about like, let's sicken them up Mm -hmm. with some cloying sweetness. They're using fruit and cream and Mm -hmm. herbs and berries and and, and nuts and like all like spices. And that's exactly what happened. It was and and I'll say it again. uh, I'm I'm a bar person through and through. I love to sit at the bar even in a fine dining restaurant if it's possible i would prefer to sit at the bar because you have an ongoing discussion with somebody there's like if you have a server at a table like you know if you're in a romantic dinner that's totally different because the point is your guest Mm -hmm. but if you're hanging out and trying to learn something new about a restaurant you're not going to have a better way of doing that than sitting at the bar because server walks away from your table if you're at the bar the bartenders are just going to have a conversation with you so at ruth's not only do you have that but you also have four chefs back there And I never would have even thought about that dessert if I hadn't watched him make one for a table. And I just asked him what he was doing. And so he just narrated as he was making it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not leaving without having that. And he started laughing. He's like, well, you still have your food coming. So hold on and we'll get there. And then hilariously, um, I was honestly contemplating maybe not ordering it because we were very full from this beautiful dinner that we had uh, involving the best, one of the best pizzas, top three best pizzas I've ever had in my life. Uh, they cold proof their dough, which is insane. But for 10 hours, they poke it and rotate it five times an hour for 10 hours straight. And then they put it in the regular proofer. That's one motherfucker's job right there. Right? Yeah. Who we ended up having a great conversation with. But anyway, I wasn't going to order the dessert. The dough poker, huh? Yeah, dough poker. You're bragging about being friends with the dough poker at Roots, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't going to order it and then I watched him make one and then the table changed their mind and the server came running back up. She's like, I'm sorry, they're going to go with the orange cake. And he looks down, he's like, and I was like, I no, please. My perfectly poked pizza. Yes. I was like, perfectly poked pizza. Perfectly poked (laughs) pizza. Potent potables. I, but literally like, I was like, I can't watch you throw that away. Like, please, please. Can I just have that? Can I be the like, trash can? Yeah, okay. I'm like, I'll be your trash panda, baby. Yeah. Here we go. Put on the goggles. I'll and, be your trash panda, baby. <laughs> and I'm talking holding the bowl in my hand, scraping out every last bit of strawberry. If it had been a shallower or wider bowl, I probably would have licked it out. But it was a little bit deep. You know, so, you know would have gotten a little bit weird. And then I end up with a, a ring through my beard. But yeah, I, I just could not have been, I, I could not have been more blown away by a fruit that I would have told you two weeks ago. It's like, fine, I'm fine with strawberries. And now I have like a benchmark set for strawberries that 
I, I will probably be chasing for the rest of my That's life. That's what's crazy is I adore strawberries, but I feel like the standard has fallen. I remember being a kid and getting these giant, so dark red strawberries. It looked like they used the super purple to inject them and yeah. make them so rich in color. And they were wildly ripe throughout. There was almost no white in the middle. I don't know where the fuck we were getting those strawberries. I think it was because, honestly, I think it was because when we were kids, we would shop at these like discount bulk supermarkets sure. that had borderline rotting strawberries, but they would be the best strawberries except for the ones you had to throw away. Yeah. You got to have a few squishy boys in there. That's what's up. And now you go to like, now you go to, you know, like a premium supermarket and you get strawberries and they might look pretty good. But you look at him and you have to kind of have this, you kind of tap your foot and you're like, mm, I'll try it. And then you go home and you're like, damn it. They're not, yep. they're not what I thought they might be, unfortunately. But yes, of course, like that adventure changed my feeling on like the modern, the modern strawberry. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you're in your forties and you start rethinking strawberries, <laughs> boy, that'll make your toes curl. Yeah. But it really was like I sat I sat on a fucking plane. I sat on a tin can flying over an ocean and all I could do was think about how mind numbing those strawberries were. Like I, I I can't but that was that that's it 100%. It made me so having those strawberries at Yodna made me want to order strawberry desserts everywhere and then strawberries we also had at Noma. I was like the strawberries are strawberries. They're like there are actually strawberries. Strawberries taste like strawberries. <laughs> And I wanted to experience it again. And so I was absolutely elated when we had um, our last like big time meal at um, Epicure. And that was the final flourish of, of that meal was the dessert that we ordered and split Marnie and myself. And it was those little bastard pencil eraser Alpine strawberries. And the second I hit the table and I saw that they were those strawberries, I was so giddy. I was like bouncing in my seat. Like, are you fucking kidding? There they are. I like. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> Strawberries. <laughs> fucking right, man. <laughs> what did we ever do before GD Sprinkles? <laughs> what did we do? What did we do? We didn't really live. <clears throat> we didn't really live. What was your What was your flavor? Yeah, I mean, it, you didn't cite me, but it's, uh, I guess it's a similar vein because fruit is involved, but the involvement of fruit in combination with savory ingredients, mostly produce, uh, was very illuminating. It was, it, it, obviously, it's something that has been done, and I've had plenty of dishes that have done it, but uh, the, the freedom and the creativity that went into uh, collaborating between those, those notions in... Um, those the two countries that we spent the most time in in, in Copenhagen and in, in well in Denmark and in, in France Copenhagen and Paris as it were uh, was was very uh, eye opening and it started with uh, a salad that we had with uh, wildflowers and a bunch of different fruits and vegetables when we were at Noma that had um, fresh strawberries was sort of the the central focus of the fruit category. And then sort of continued to curtail into, um, interestingly, cocktails, because I'm a very savory-leaning person yeah, overall. And with cocktail places, I was like, what's your savory cocktail? And multiple places we went to, um, Little Red Door and Lucinda Cat, both had cocktails that were clarified tomato with raspberry. Oh. Both places had clarified tomato with raspberry cocktails. 
And they both were like, holy shit, those flavors work really brilliantly together. And somehow the combination at both places enabled the tomato and the raspberry to have enough to say. It wasn't sure. It wasn't yeah. like one was uh, Robin <laughs> and the other one was Batman. It was like two Batmans. <laughs> two Batmans? Two Batman. <laughs> So I, I, I was really fascinated by that. And I was like, wow, do I need to be using tomatoes, which are fruits, obviously, but are not treated as such in our preparations? Do I need to be more open and liberal with the use of those um, types of, of, of ingredients together? And that raspberry-tomato combination, like, I got to play with that more, man. I got to make... What am I going to make a fucking Bloody Mary with raspberries in it now? But it's something I definitely need to deeply consider, and it was, it was super illuminating. And again, like, this is one of those, all of the questions we're asking today because of just the plethora of experiences that each of us had, some in common and some totally separate. It's one of those, uh, you can answer every different question in a different way on any given day because it's so hard to pinpoint like a specific thing. So today that's absolutely the way I feel is, wow, that was so fucking cool. And I'm, I'm excited to explore that more. And hopefully like if I saw, you know, a bar here in twin cities, like meteor do something with tomato and, and raspberry, I would be giddy. I'd be like, yes, it's here. It's arrived. Dude, I'm telling you, man. <clears throat> I mean, the, the cocktail that blew my mind the most in 2022 was the Verde at Petit Leon. And that uses tomatillo water. Yeah, that's the the base on it, and mm. I remember Bennett made it for me, and he goes, "Tell me what's in this," and I I was like, "There's there's a savory note that I cannot put my finger on," and he just started smiling, and he's like, "Tell me, tell me to you water," I'm like, ah, oh. so I really do like it's I, I need to start involving my nightshades in my cocktail game. Mm-hmm. Also, nightshade had to have been like a a bad guy in GI Joe or something, right? Probably in a, a million things. God. Also, probably a real sweet fucking hair metal band. Yeah, but like, yeah, like eighties. Like they were they were opening for Jackal, but they broke up because the bass player got in a fight with the lead singer. Absolutely, Nightshade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> isolate that. Somebody isolate that for us because we won't do it. We'll we keep saying we're going to. We'll forget. We All right. Well, fuck it. Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. I laughed so much on this trip, and we had so many amazing moments. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask, what was one of the funniest things that happened to you, slash what's something that will make you smile for years to come when you think about it? We, uh, we debriefed this morning uh, at a cafe with Dewey and Haley here in Minneapolis, and uh, Marnie told a story about the last meal we had um, in Paris, we were at this beautiful outdoor patio situation on a boulevard near our hotel. Uh, I believe it was called, I don't know if they say like philo- philosophs, but like philosophies. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were just placing our order and we had a table that was just the two of us, small table sitting next to like this flower bush enclosed in this little dirt area. And there was a very low lying rail that was probably only the top of it is probably only like three and a half inches across. And, uh, two ladies 
Americans uh, having a great time in their dresses, came over. They're probably in their 50s, not that any of this matters. And they had ice cream cones. And they were just beside us. Like the rail was just beside me with my back to the street. And one of the ladies decided it was a great idea to sit down on that railing. So she bends all the way down, not realizing how low it was, I'm certain. I don't know if they'd been drinking. doesn't really matter. And went ass over tea kettle. Bottoms up. And her legs went flying in the air. All the way up in the air. Doesn't drop her ice cream cone. Yes. Credit to her for that. Was wearing some very modest underwear, thankfully. And just fell into this dirt area. And both Marnie and myself watched it happen in slow motion. When I saw her falling, my instinct was somehow to help her. But the way I was positioned, I would have only made it worse to grab her. So I had to just let her fall. And she absolutely just lost it. Her and her friend lost it laughing, which is the exact right thing to do in that situation. Got it. And I popped out of my seat and put my hand on and said, oh, my God, are you okay? And then Marnie got up as well. We each grabbed a hand, pulled her out. She straightened out her dress. Ice cream cone still fully intact. Genius. Just laughing nervously <laughs> at her plight. And we were like, are you okay? Are you, are you injured? Is everything? And she said, I am totally fine. Thank you for helping me. And then started to kind of walk away. As she's walking away, Marnie couldn't help herself anymore. <laughs> just, just lost it. Just started belting out laughter. Obviously, she was able to laugh at her own misery. So I was like, not quite embarrassed. Like, Marnie. So we were just kind of like giggling about it. And throughout the rest of the meal, every about 10 minutes, Marnie would say, she just started giggling and I knew exactly why. <laughs> and then she would just go, that lady. <laughs> And, and honestly, in the days that have passed since then, just like once a day or twice a day, she'll just start giggling and look at me and say, that lady. And I'm like, yes, that was fucking hilarious. But that, those are just like the funny little things that happen when you're adventuring that you kind of never forget. Totally. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's you, you know? Absolutely. Sometimes. A lot of times it's me. Sometimes you're the horse's head. Sometimes you're the horse's ass. And like she just, and she'll tell that story for the rest of her life, how she just fell over and. Like, went yeah. ass over tea kettle, and people had to help her out of this. But saved the ice cream cone. Saved the ice cream that cone. That is your hero's journey right there. That was all that really mattered, honestly. That's how you save face, is you hold up the, the beer or the ice cream cone or the martini or whatever it might be. She saved the ice cream cone. She collected it after getting up. She thankfully wasn't, she didn't ruin her dress, even though it had rained earlier in the day, and then walked off and probably enjoyed the rest of her ice cream cone but like God, you know amazing. again there's a snippet like one thing that just made us like really joyful like what <laughs> come on man this is this is fucking hilarious we just yeah took took great joy and just kind of like seeing people be people around us that was just very close to us that was one foot away from me <laughs> <laughs> when i was uh when i was a sophomore in college right before i left for norway i was dating a woman who was two years older than me she was a senior and her roommate's boyfriend did not like that there was this young kid hanging around the apartment like two years is two yeah, years. Doesn't at really the time, two yeah. years is a lot. Two years is a lot back then, yeah. you know, like 21 to 19 or 22 to 19. I can't remember if he was 21 or 22. I mean, that, I get it. And uh, so I was trying to like go above and beyond just like so that, you know, I just didn't want him to be a dick to me, basically. So we were all hanging out. Everybody was a little hungover from the night before. So I offered to go grab everybody food. And I'm walking back to the apartment. And what I thought was just a little snowdrift, I was just going to kick my way through. 
uh, was a full curb inside of it, like a Ooh. like the parking space curb. And uh, so I hit it thinking that I could just go right through it, and I basically fell ass over tea kettle. Through yourself. Did a full somersault, but kept the food up. So I got back up, and, like, no one saw it. I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And so I get up there, and I'm just covered. I'm yeah. covered in parking lot sludge and snow and salt and all this shit. I set it down, and my girlfriend was like, oh, my God, what happened? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I just, thankfully, I had a hoodie and, like, I think some pajama pants there. I was like, I'm just going to go change. And I came out, and Todd had apparently seen me do this out the window. That dude you're talking that about? That dude I was talking about. Yeah. He comes, stands next to me, and he goes, you saved the food, dude. That was pretty legit. And he gave me a fist bump, and he was cool with me after that ever since. I was like, yep, all right, there we go. He just had to watch me completely eat shit but save the food. We all, yeah, we all have at least one story like that. My, um, my smile was, there were a few people that told us not to go to Malmo. Uh, the word shithole got used twice by oh. two different people. Okay. And... There's, I've never seen anything in Sweden that I could call a shithole. So I'm like, I don't really care. I'm just going to go. I had told Drew that story while Order we were battle on, shit. Right? I had told Drew that story <laughs> while we were on the train. Yeah. And so he, because neither, like we literally did zero research for that. Aside from me finding a restaurant called Ruth's, we didn't know anything. We were just going to get off the train and wander around and figure it out. So we get off the train and it's the most perfect summer day. It's like 80 degrees, there's not a cloud in the sky, there's a nice breeze blowing off the ocean as it is a coastal city. And so we just started walking, and Drew goes, oh, there's a park. Like, he was looking at his Google Maps. He goes, it looks like there's a park up here. Mm. Let's go check that out. Cool. Well, what the park is, is uh, it's a national beach. It's like three miles long of this glorious white sand beach on a perfect summer day during holiday. So beach is packed. Mm -hmm. And I just love, like... People from every shade of skin, every body type, like almost the bigger bodies were in the skimpiest of suits. Uh, dudes on scooters together just scoot, scooting away. And we went, walked down in the sand, and there's a, there's a restaurant that's out on a pier. It's about, I'd say, 100 yards out. Um, so you have to take this long pier to get there. And I was like, well, they have parasols. You got to so go down a sheer pier to get a beer? Sheer pier to get a beer. Cold beer so it literally, uh, we were like, well, let's just walk down there. They have parasols. So I guarantee you they have some sort of like beer or cocktail, Aperol spritz, something. Let's go for that. Something. It was very much a accidentally Wes Anderson looking place. So we're walking down the beach and I looked over and Drew's in jeans because Drew does not wear shorts. So we're just like. Same energy, baby. Correct. So we're just like navigating our way through all these people in like bathing attire. And uh, Drew wandered up to get a look from, like, a, a sand dune, and I wanted to put my feet in the ocean. That's a weird thing that I have. I just, if I see it, I want to put my feet in it. So I took my socks and shoes off, and I was just wandering around through the, through the water, and I was trying to get a panoramic shot of the beach where Drew was standing all the way over to where this pier is. <laughs> yeah, I saw the photo. Right? And so I'm, like, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, frame it right. And, like, 10 feet in front of me is uh, this woman who... It sounded like they were speaking Italian, uh, could have been Portuguese, but um, she's got the whole fam and one of her kids is just having a meltdown mm -hmm. and she's just trying to like settle her down and whatever. <laughs> and she bent over to ask her like, like, hey, well, like, what's wrong? Like, how can I fix this? And straight up, like her boobs just fell out and I have my camera up 
So I'm just like, ah. So I just pulled my camera down super quick. She saw the motion of me pulling my camera down super quick and like the sheer like look on my face. Yeah. And she like looks around and just tucks him back in. Nobody saw it. And we both just shrugged at each other. And then she just went back to her kid and I just went back to walking. Like 10 seconds went by and I just started laughing. And then I turned around and she's laughing hysterically. Yeah. And literally, we just shrugged at each other one more time, and then I just wandered off. <laughs> like, what, what else are you going to do? You know, it was like, uh, <laughs> what else are you going to do? It was just this perfect, and I mean, there were thousands of people around us, and as far as either one of us could see, we were the only two people that were present in that moment. You could have been Larry David there. She could have been like, show me your phone. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that was, I, like, I just put my phone on. I'm like, please don't think that I was taking a picture of that. Like, uh, gross. Um, but yeah, it was and I just kept laughing about it. We got all the way out to the pier, and I told Drew that story. And then the shrug just became like, yep, titties fall out. It is what it is. See, I thought you were going to – I thought w- the way you were going to go with this was uh, Drew's sad Pablo Escobar energy. <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, that, that photo, it's, it makes me so happy because it's just like 100 people having the greatest time on a beach, and Drew in jeans with his hands in his pockets looking off into the distance like sad Pablo. That, I mean, that was pretty funny. We also got to watch a guy completely eat shit on a scooter that he didn't hit a bump. He didn't hit anything. He just literally, like the, I don't know what he was doing, but his hand just pulled the handle sideways, and he went flying. But did he die? No, and everybody helped him up. Like, he was honestly, I think, more embarrassed about the amount of people that were trying to help him mm. than he was about the fall. And he definitely tried to walk it off, but, like, ugh, his knee looked rough. Oof. Yeah. If, it, if there hadn't been that much blood, I would have thought that was pretty funny, but I bet that oh, yeah. hurt. Like, yeah, that's what I was bad. like. Is this funny or no? Yeah, no. No, not funny. Yeah, and I, I, when you showed me the photo of Drew, I was like, I feel that, dude, because I am always wearing jeans, and you happen upon a beach, and it's just like, I'm wearing jeans. I have underwear, but I'm wearing jeans. Yep. <laughs> like I know that. I know that face. <laughs> it was perfect. And and the you best part be the is the most serious man in the room at that point. Yeah, <laughs> and that's also that's him and that's you. You know, like I, I I don't want him to show up in like Bermuda shorts because that would be weird. It was it was perfect for him and splashing around in like calf high water for me is exactly what I want to do. Like that was it was very fun. And then we walked out, and there was the most suntanned man I've ever seen in my life. Like, he literally looked like, you know how um, Hulk Hogan in the 80s had that, like, hot dog skin look? <laughs> Did on the roller a little too long? Yeah, this dude literally. Overnight roller. Yeah, he was, an old, he was an overnight roller, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just staring. Like, both Drew and I were just staring at him. Like, you could taste the salt water in dude. his fucking skin from 10 feet away. Oh. And Drew just leans over to me and he goes, I bet that guy's got a good story about a bridge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, Malmo, I don't know what on earth experiences other people have had that would say something bad about it. That city was stunning. I think it's border it was, battle shit. It was you know, beautiful. Like, don't go over there, stay over here. Yeah, it you was know. awesome. It was so great. I love that. You need some more Akavit, don't you? Oop. Uh, is it you again? Yeah. Right. I just need to grab the bottle. Because, man, this stuff's drinking Real too good. easily. Too easily. Gotta pour mm-hmm. myself up some more. Oh. Are you, how are you doing over there? You need some too? Yeah, I do. Okay. Mm. And if our non-mic friend would like to jump in on this too, you're more than welcome. Yeah, please do. Yeah, you should try this. 
Stiff. Squeak. There you go. There he is. Keep, keeping it juicy like Gary Busey. There it is. ASMR for everybody. All right. Topic number three. All right, Quam. What didn't you do on this trip? That Go you- to Noma! Oh! <laughs> okay, that's fair. The, the, well, okay, no. I think this is the key. I, that, that, I should have thought that that would be, like, the, the obviously the key response. But what didn't you do on this trip that you wanted to do or that you will do next time? I, you know, honestly, like, uh, Noma aside, I did not take advantage of the pastry game in Denmark the way ah, I should have. Yeah. I had a couple of wonderful, like the best I've had outside of, of France, uh, croissants, and I had one actual like Danish pastry. Croissant. But, uh, croissant. Uh, but I did not, I, di- I didn't have enough of it. I really did not have enough of it. And I, it wasn't by intention. It just, the way that things rolled out, like it just, it just wasn't a thing. And, uh, I, I really would like to revisit that. You, you want to know what I appreciate about that? And it's something I've been saying a lot since we uh, departed from the trip, is that there are, like, things, there are things you're supposed to do when you're certain places. And I, I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do. I want to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be blind spots. You're going you're to miss stuff. And that's okay. I think we all have to sort of accept it. You can't, if you just check the boxes of all the things you're supposed to do somewhere you go, all you're going to do is the same trip. Yeah. That you're just checking boxes. Thousands of people did that same day. We also, because Drew and I stayed in an Airbnb, whereas you all were in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I made myself breakfast every morning. And so that also mm-hmm. took the place of where I would normally go get a pastry and a coffee. Sure. Um, I, I love... Uh, skir, like a Scandinavian yogurt, I really, really love. And to have fresh fruit and then um, some beautiful granola from the market down the street from our place and then a you know, bowl of, of that is awesome. And then obviously the smubra. So grabbing an open-faced uh, bread with butter, cheese, jam, meats. Like I did that a lot too. So I, I was getting a lot of breakfast things. I just, I didn't get enough of the pastries. And it was sort of like the last day. I was like, "Oh shit, we didn't really do that." And then we left yeah. for the we left for the airport so early. Nothing was open before our flight, so mm-hmm. I couldn't even get anything at the airport on the way out. I feel you. What about you? That's uh, uh, similarly in Copenhagen, and you know this because I was lamenting it on that last day when we were adventuring. I didn't get out on the water. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get out on a boat, and I didn't. You know, I didn't push as hard as I could push because it would have been. Like, wait, I could have gotten on, like, Airbnb experiences. But what I did was uh, you'd see the boats, and they were all branded, of course. They all had various names, like Moby Dick Excursions and shit like that. Dude, Friendships is my favorite thing ever. Friendships. Friend, capital S, ships. Yep. Dot capital F, D-E. capital S. Yep. Made me so happy. I'm like, For sure. Every time they drove by, I'm like, oh, hey, friends. There's another great, for instance. I looked up both of those, I looked up both of those uh, websites, and, like, the Moby Dick one basically said they were, like, very restrictive. Don't bring booze. We'll sell you booze. They basically said, this is great for wedding parties and spreading ashes. I'm like, what if I just want to fucking cruise around with my friends? So I disqualified that one. And then friendships wouldn't let me put in my U.S. phone number. Yeah. I'm like, what? It just kept saying, this is not a real phone number. I'm like, believe it or not, this is a real phone number. I also gave you my email address. I'm pretty easy to find. So I was like, whatever. And I got frustrated and didn't do it. Um, so next time, and this is something I've been saying about Copenhagen is, 
And that city seems like if you if you have the ability and the means and the privilege to do so, that seems like such a wonderful place to summer. Yeah. To just and you know, I'm not gonna do it every summer, but I could see a time where I might want to summer in Copenhagen every like three to five years, just spend like two to three weeks there. I I have never I don't I can't think of the last time that a city made me that smitten with it right away. Yeah. Like I I I am absolutely gobsmacked at how much I loved Copenhagen. It's like, it's one of those cities that is so clean. Yep. Not a fucking cigarette butt. Yep. And Super clean. Bike wildly. lanes everywhere. Yeah. So you can, you don't even need to use, they have great mass transit. You don't even need to use it. You can just rent a bike for two for or sure. three bucks per go. And just or bike. you can truck it, which or is you, what we yeah. did. Is we just walk everywhere yeah. and, you know, learn. For me, that's a great way to learn a city is that you start kind of like retracing paths and then taking different angles. And then by the time you leave, you're like, oh, yeah, let's just take a left here. And then we'll be there in like three blocks, which I absolutely adore. But, yes, I would say that uh, next time I'm going to be – that'll be the, the first thing I plan is how are we going to get on the water – um, I would, because I had a, I had it in my mind that this, this motley crew of, of people that we, friends that we collected and came with and, and all, all, all those things, I wanted to have us all on a boat. I was trying to organize it, but it was just sort of a too little, too late situation mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know what, it's not going to work out. But then also you kind of just have to accept your station. You're yeah. like, okay, it's not going to work out, but next time I'm going to be, um, a lot smarter about this to make sure that. Because you see it everywhere you go. And our hotel is literally on the waterfront. So we saw it every time we came out. And we sat on some beautiful, like, bar boats where you're you're on the water. You know, these boats are on the water. But those boats never move. They don't go anywhere. So that was was the closest we got. And, like, walking along the water and, and being on beaches and things like that was was cool. But (laughs) I really felt like there was there was one boat. Um you we the three of us were walking it was you me and drew you guys went into the hotel real quick and i was hanging out taking pictures mm-hmm. there was a boat that um that was anchored that they clearly had sailed in it was like five people on this boat yeah and i was i was looking down and they had this beautiful like charcuterie spread and they were all drinking either white or rosé yeah. wines and i just felt like that's what a vampire weekend song looks like to me like the whole time, I was just like, "This is exactly what I would picture like a music video to be <laughs> from them." Just yeah, there was one boat we walked by, which like had this you know beautiful little family of four and a dog, and they just like they had a cut up watermelon and champagne. Hell yeah! And they were just chilling. Hell yeah! And drinking champagne, and I was like, "I want watermelon champagne dreams." Fuck yeah! <laughs> I think that's a Harry Styles song. <laughs> it sounds like. That. <laughs> Uh, you're right. The boat would be fun. I do. I do want to do that. I enjoy any type of boating that involves like leisurely speeds and beverages. I'm in. Yeah, and I'm as you know, an on the water, not in the water guy. You know. Yep, I do know I that. Like, I love the experience of being out on a boat, smoking a cigar, having some drinks. I'll, I'll navigate the boat. Let me let me drive the boat, and then everyone can splish splash around like children cool by me Fuck yeah I, yeah i want that next time so we'll get it let's go cheers dude skull skull i'm so impressed by how delicate that is yeah and it's interesting because the more i drink it 
It's like each sip. It's not the finish, but it's each sip I get more of like that berry component. I was just thinking that. Wow, is that that's like like when I when affecting. when I first popped it, I was like I get more of the rose and dill, and now I feel like the the mulberry and the raspberry are really shining brightly, and that might have something to do with the cigar too. I'm not sure. I, yeah, I just wonder if it's kind of acclimating on my palate and every yeah. consecutive sip is just giving me more of the berry, which is cool because now I'm, I want to see how it develops. Shout out to Copenhagen, man. Their distillery does good stuff. And if I had had room, man, I really wanted to bring that Anaset Akavit home because, God, I just wanted to watch your face when you tried it. It was so good. Yeah, and it, uh, honestly, you know, you know that if you would have brought that one, then that's we're the key demo for that. Correct. That would have been the perfect, oh, my God, this pairing right now. This farce I'm smoking with that. It's killing it. Akavit is brilliant. Love it. Woo! Hey! Uh, I think it's me. What was, uh, what was the biggest surprise for you on this trip? Is this you? Do, 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 do. So it is. Oh, okay. This will come as a surprise as the fine, <laughs> the fine dino. This will come, yeah, it's come as a surprise as, a surprise as the fine dino. The biggest surprise is uh, I fucking fatigued on fine dining. Yeah. Like, I went hard. I you went did. hard. I booked 18 Michelin stars between Copenhagen and Paris, which I want to do. So uh, that's the way I roll. A lot of it is the way I look at it. And it's sort of that, that time component where I'm like, when will I be back, if ever? So, Copenhagen went super hard. Noma, Jordner, Alchemist, Geranium. Like, two of the seven, I believe, I think it's seven, restaurants that are retired to the Hall of Fame for World's 50 Best were amidst four days, that being Noma and Geranium. And... um I sort of, I think I kind of taught myself a little bit of a lesson because I was, sort, I was remarking when we were at the design museum that when I'm in a museum and I'm in the art field, I love art a great deal, but I do move briskly until I find what I'm looking for and then I focus because what I'm worried about is if you absorb too much, then it doesn't, none of it matters because you just absorb, absorb, absorb. And we experienced that, experience that in the Louvre as well. It's just like, you could spend four full days in there. Sponges get full, dude. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great way of putting it. And I, I got to the point where like, this is going to sound very dickish and I'm okay saying it, but when we were at Geranium, which is, you know, three or four years running, it was number one and it got retired to the hall this year. Beautiful restaurant. I kind of just like had this feeling that this is how we eat every day. You know, sure. like I got to the point where I was like, this is what we do. Yeah. And so I didn't have the wide-eyed bewilderment that I had when we arrived to Copenhagen and went to Noma, where all that anticipation for a meal like that, and I hadn't had a meal of that scope since probably I was in New York in uh, last December. And so I feel like I didn't afford geranium the credibility that they require. And I still obviously love the meal, uh, there was a part of me that wasn't 100% present. Mm -hmm. I'd say I absorbed it at like 96% efficiency as opposed to 100%. And a restaurant like that deserves 100% efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I felt bad about <clears> it. <throat> and then we had two evenings where we didn't have big meals planned. And we 
freelanced and that was sort of by design. Again, I planned it that way and it's because also, you know, my wife doesn't want to go that hard on fine dining like the way I do. When I'm in New York, I do two, I do two <coughs> crazy meals every day. Yep. Lunch and dinner every fucking day. And I've never fatigued. But I think it's like, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like um, acid lacidosis where I was tra- I've been training so hard for 10 years that finally my arms gave out. Like I'm hitting the bag like a Dragon Ball Z character. <laughs> and then finally I was like, dude, why, why are you hitting yeah. this tree so hard? And it made me sort of reflect on, wow, do I want to maybe consider the possibility that on future trips I can space these out more? Or maybe I don't have to fill every want. I don't have to tick every box. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is something, honestly, it, it's natural for me. It, it's something that I recognized immediately because I have felt that way about a lot of other things that I've had great enjoyment of. Yep. Like when beer was a big thing or like spirits, you know, drinking bourbon, things like that, where it's like, go, 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 go. And then eventually you're like, damn it, why am I, why am I going this fucking hard? And I think that's what occurred to me at that particular stage at Geranium. Sure. To the degree that <clears throat> flying in the face of the way that I do things, we had three big meals scheduled in Paris. And it was uh, La Sainc, three stars. Um, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I? Start with an E. Yeah, why am I why am I blanking? I'm in the no brains with the alcohol. Yeah. Anyways, we had three consecutive meals. Two three st- two three stars and then a, a two stars table by Bruno Berju was the third day. And on the third day, I said, and I'll it'll come to me. I'm gonna talk about it a little later. After that second meal, and my body actually a part of it was like I was starting to my body was like so much rich food. Uh, I was eating one meal a day at that point. That third meal that was coming up, I started to kind of ask Marnie, are you sure you want to go to this meal? And she was like, uh, I'll defer to you. I said, well, I'm asking you because I kind of wanted her to be the one to push me off. And I said, I'd be perfectly fine if you didn't want to because it's been so crazy. And she said, well, if you aren't 100% sure, then we shouldn't go. She ended up, you know, long story longer, she called the restaurant and we ended up getting texted back that we couldn't get our deposit back and it was a pretty expensive deposit. So we were like, fuck it, let's do it. And then we were walking around along the river in France, having a very casual evening, just visit, visited this beautiful champagne store. And I looked at her and I said, I know that we texted them back and said we're going, but how about we don't go? She was like, yeah, let's not go. And we told them, it's okay if you have to keep the deposit. We're going to preserve, you know, we said to each other, we're going to preserve that last day to do what we want to do. And there's a part of me that was like, ah, that's a lot of money. But it would have been a lot more to actually go. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like this proposition. You're like, ooh, what do, we, what do we do here? But then the last day was the day we went to the underground jazz. Yeah, cabin. chaos jazz. Yeah, chaos jazz. Went two floors down below street level to this jazz, this tiny jazz club and watched this fucking crazy, brilliant, two-man chaos jazz experimental jazz group that just blew my mind and that whole day compositionally was just perfect we had a great day and i said i don't think we missed anything if we had gone to a meal that i wouldn't have appreciated the way that it deserves to be appreciated as opposed to having the day that we had today 
So that I think would be the most surprising thing to me is that like it occurred to me like, damn, okay, you don't always have to put your floor your your foot down to the pedal and go full RPMs, um, and that's not something that's not that's not in my character. Yeah. So that was yeah. It was, uh, I I, I want to say like honestly, it felt good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely, man. I think um, I I I I get that. Like what you were experiencing, I get that sometimes with like just me wanting to go to every concert and wanting sure. to do everything. Like there are times where I've shown up for like my fourth concert in a week and I realize like I'm not even paying attention to the band. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you start to like, you almost feel guilty even though it's not like there's a finite amount of enjoyment that can be dispersed across the crowd. You start to feel guilty. Like I'm not giving this the attention that it deserves. And if I'm going to consider myself a huge yeah, music absorbing. fan or yeah, absorbing. yeah, there's nothing it's like, like too much lotion. Just, on the skin. It's just rubbing right <laughs> off the top. Yeah. hundred percent. Mine was kind of, uh, it, it was different because, um, this is the first international trip that I haven't had a romantic partner with Epicure. Sorry. The restaurants Epicure. There you go. Epicure. Um, I haven't traveled internationally without a romantic partner since I was in my early twenties. And, uh, it was realizing, oh, really? yeah, it was realizing how different my life is when my wife's not around, you know, like that was, it, I, I felt like I had to learn to explore and travel in a very, very different way. Um, and oh, having yeah, what an interesting sensation. Yeah, it was very strange. It felt like um, it really kind of felt like doing a workout that you've never done before. Like I know that I can lift the thing and I know that I can move my body, but it didn't feel natural at all. And I was got there really some guilt, or was it just like no muscle memory? Both, like, both. Yeah. Um, I I don't like experiencing things that I love without the person that I love the most to experience them with me. You know. I, I like going to concerts by, by myself, but I'm a lot happier if she's there. And I felt like that for this trip. But um, what I realized was I, I love people so much that that ended up being what got me out of it. Like that whole first day uh, with all the disappointment about Noma and all of that, I just wanted to get into a bed with Jenny and kind of cuddle up and just give up on the day. But that wasn't possible. And I know that my friend also was very, very disappointed. And so I was also trying to like cheer him up a little bit too. Um, because this is a lot rarer for Drew. He doesn't take the time to travel like this very much. And then in yeah. the span of two and a half months, he's traveled internationally twice. Uh, once with our other good friend, Steve Kelly, and then, and then with me here. So it was also like put on, you know, stiff upper lip, like put on a good show for your friend and, you know, try and keep spirits up. And yep. then, you know, we, we met up with, with you guys the next day and our other travel companions, Dewey and Haley, and getting to know them, uh, that was what got me out of it. And it just kind of, it was a, a surprise that it took going all the way back to my core. Like, what is my favorite thing on earth to do? It's trying to meet people and hear their stories. That's my favorite thing, period. So when everything else feels very foreign, to use a, well, pun intended and unintended, uh, when it, it just felt very weird not having her there. And it was, it was going back to what makes me happy and it's talking to people and figuring out who they are. And that was what kind of got me into it. And I don't think I would have ever penned that previous 
to actually being in the middle of that moment. Yeah. Like I didn't expect for it to feel so weird to not have her there, but I just kind of felt like I, it was like, I felt like I forgot something important every single day when I woke up and it wasn't that I forgot. It was just that, that the most important thing in my life isn't there. And it, it gave me a different frame of reference. And then after I kind of figured that out, it was the, the second day after I figured that out, then it was like, okay, well, I should lean into that then. And let's talk to everybody that we can. Yeah, it's like a different form of self-discovery. Yeah. Because it doesn't, you can still, you can still embark on a journey of self-discovery with your life partner yep. present, but it's like an entirely different context for, for doing that. Absolutely. And I've traveled domestically plenty on yeah. my own, and that's, that's fine. But I think because this was a city that I've only been to once, and I was, <laughs> let's just say my interests were different when I was in Copenhagen 20 years ago. Um, I think because that was, it, that was already so different, yeah. then also not having her there, it really felt like jumping without a parachute. Um, you know, like, I, I don't want to classify her as this, but like, there's a little safety blanket that's attached when the person that you love the most on earth is right next to you. Like nothing can be that bad if she's right there. And when she's not there and then things get bad to start, it was like, I just really felt like I was out of my depth for a little while there. And I didn't want to say that to Drew because I didn't want him to feel bad about anything. So I just kind of internalized it. And it like, it was a funky sour feeling for a little bit. And then it was really the first conversation that I had with, with Dewey and Haley that I was like, holy fuck. But like, how lucky am I that I'm in another country and I'm exploring it with these two humans that I don't know very well, but they seem like the most wonderful people. And then you and Marnie met up with us. And obviously like, it's always, it always feels like home when you guys are around. And it just sort of like, I, I very, very um, intentionally thought my way through that. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was a very, very different experience. And I don't think, I, I don't think I prepared myself for even pondering that. And it was, it was just, it was kind of surprising to be like, oh, wow. All right. <laughs> you got a little uh, yeah. baby deer wobbly, uh, not having your favorite person around. So to distill it down to the part that surprised you, would you say you were surprised by, um, you're surprised by yearning for the absence or your adaptation to the absence both yeah uh i was surprised that i felt like that i mean mm -hmm. I, you know it sounds weird to say that but like no. I, I i i didn't think it was going to affect me as much as it did and then it was it was realizing that oh no it's literally like once i think my way out of it then i have to i have to lean into those things and it really did it completely turned my trip around and it became so much fun and then meeting up with the people who took our place at Noma was awesome. And then getting to meet their friends was even more fun. And then meeting different bartenders. Like I exchanged info with three or four different bartenders throughout that time. And a couple of the guys sent me some really nice, Hey, here's a couple other places that are open, yeah, yeah. you know, go check this out. And we found some really insane gems because of that. Sure. That's, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. The, the, the circuitous nature, like the connectivity of that is that's like the spirit of adventure, especially like city adventuring. It's kind of the modern equivalent of roaming a mountain in, you know, the ancient days and yeah. telling you to take a certain path to find a waterfall. Experiencing that on trips like this is so fucking cool where you either happen upon just as a matter of happenstance, like a new discovery, or it just so happens that like someone, someone, 
you know, uh, recommended a place to you or like I told you guys to go to Strombar and I had never been there, but I knew that they honestly, I didn't know they had a dope ass cocktail program. I knew they made good cocktails, but the reason I wanted to go there so badly is because I heard you could smoke cigars inside. So like entirely ironically, you ended up having an incredible time at this bar and then they ended up. So like, okay, let's break this down. Let's break this down. <laughs> I, I looked up places you could smoke cigars in Copenhagen Correct. because Marnie's mom told me they're not hospitable to cigars. And I found out that they are. And I found that anything under 40 square meters, I believe can, you can smoke indoors if they, uh, if they say you can. And I found, I started looking up places to go and I found this cocktail bar that looked like a cool cocktail bar. I don't know how cool, but cool cocktail bar that you can smoke cigars in. And I really badly wanted to go there and I didn't make it. And when we parted ways after we went to that Irish pub, we found out Balderdash was closed. That's a whole separate story. We won't get into that. But you were like, what's the name of that bar you said that you wanted to go to that doesn't open until five, 6 p.m.? Six. six? Yeah. That one was at six. Yeah. Because I couldn't make it because we had a dinner at Geranium that night. And I said, it's called Strom. S-T-R. Uh. Oh, with the little, little slash through it. M. And uh, you were like, we're going to, Fucking go there in your steed. Let you know how it is. And you went there and discovered you can't smoke cigars there anymore. Correct. I but love that I love that it was a Tuesday night private club that stopped in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Nobody knows apparently. Yeah. And then like you can take the ball from here. You ended up going there and finding, okay, no cigars, but incredible cocktail program. And then they ended up kicking your can down the road yep. to some other places, yep. which is fucking awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> that was that led to um that led to the second best dinner that we had in, in Denmark. So yeah. we walked in, uh, we went to Strom after we parted ways. Uh, we got there right when they opened. And so we were the only two people there. And the bartender was just excited to have people that were interested that wanted to talk uh, because everybody else that came in later on tried to get a table. So he was just having a blast talking to us. Yeah. And then um, the sort of brain behind the cocktail program who does all of the batching and prep was also there. So as the bar got busier, the bartender kind of got pulled away and then he had finished all of his prep. So he was just hanging out with us talking. And it turns out that they have an incredible American whiskey selection. So he was busting out bottles that are allocated to the fucking moon here in the US. And he's just busting all of them out. He's like, oh, you should, have you tried this? Have you had this? Have you had this? Have you had this? And it's, you know, he's got bakers and plantains and single <laughs> barrel stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was. He had, they had stuff you didn't imagine to be drinking. And three different Michter's barrel picks back yeah, there. Right. I mean, it was it was wild. And then we were talking about uh, the agave bar, uh, Barking Dog, and he's like, "Oh, we got some great stuff." And he like digs around and he pulls out like a whole run of mezcals, <laughs> and he's like, "Let me pour these for you guys." <laughs> and yeah. so we're just like, "This is the best thing ever." And we had a few of their drinks, and. Um, they have a clarified milk punch. We've talked about it on the show before. I'm a huge milk punch fan. I know the amount of work that goes into it. I always order one if I see it on a menu because I want it to make enough money yeah, that it stays too. on the menu. 100%. And they um, they served me the drink, and then oh, yeah. they yeah. pull out the milk solids when they when they clarify it, when they strain it, and they smear that on little rye crisps that they make in-house. And I thought that was the most genius thing I'd ever seen because you have this tart fruit forward dairy spread on this like spicy rye crisp so you know they're using like full fat unpasteurized like absolutely it was fucking awesome different territory and that got us talking but like basically they you know so we had two little 
like rye toast points and we crushed those. And like, that was like the, Oh, Hey, you're hungry. Like you've got a good buzz on, you need to go eat. Num num time. So we asked yeah. both of them, like, where would you guys go? And they listed off like five different restaurants. And then at the same time, they both looked at each other like, wait, you have to go to Goldfinch. And so we're like, okay. Drew looks it up. Uh, Danish Chinese cuisine in let's go. So we go there. We walk in, they sit us, once again, it's an open kitchen in the middle of the restaurant. They sit us at the bar uh, between the expo and the cooking line, the hotline. And the woman, the, the, the chef who was running things, it was the most fastidious, amazing job of calling expo. I haven't seen mastery like that in a very long time. And that restaurant probably seats 100, 110 maybe. Oh, shit, it was big. big. Okay. And she, I like, I literally felt bad. Drew and I didn't talk for like 20 minutes at a time because I was watching this conductor lead a symphony and it was brilliant. I, I know a lot of you listeners out there maybe don't nerd out as much, but if you've worked in a restaurant, if you've worked in a a higher end restaurant, knowing the pressure that that kitchen is under and then knowing that it's in the middle of the restaurant. So you can't yell, you can't throw stuff, you can't get frustrated you got to just work through whatever goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, by the time we had finished our meal, things had calmed down a little bit. And uh, on my way out, I just said, look, I've worked in restaurants for a very long time, and I have never seen somebody so masterfully run Expo. Like, just from, from the depths of my service industry heart, I just wanted to tell you that it was an honor to sit and watch you do what you do. <laughs> and she came around and gave me a hug. And in Scandinavia, a hug from a stranger is rare as shit. And she was just in it, just like huge hug, both hands on my back, like, thank you. And I just, it made me so happy. Because like, like, thank you. Yeah, exactly. But we, God, we ate so much. We had, we had braised beef cheeks. We had, they make their own house chili oil and chili crisp. So they got us these amazing, um, Soup dumplings with the the chili crisp just poured over sweet the top. Sweet potato hot sauce, you said? Yeah, they had a sweet potato hot sauce they Dan make Dan in-house. Noodles. The Dan Dan was incredible. Um, we got we had a couple other dishes. I mean, it was it was truly staggering how good. Oh, little bao buns. The bao with the sweet potato hot sauce. It was like funky and tart and sweet and spicy. And then just the most luscious stewed beef in the middle of it. It was so good. And again, we never would have had that experience if those guys, if we hadn't gone to Strom because you had found a place. So the delineation, let's just, let's, let's back this all the way down. The delineation is me standing in my in-law's kitchen, having my mother-in-law tell me that they're not hospitable to cigar smoke. And that was the end of the line, like 30 data points <laughs> later. It's how, how fucking cool is it's, that? It's, it's exactly right. what I love about exploring the world. And, you know, to have, to have the through line is just being kind <laughs> to strangers, is just having a conversation and with and people. And being open to the experience. Being well, open to the right? experience. Like, I mean, yeah. the place couldn't have been any cooler. Like, it's, so to get to Goldfinch, you basically have to walk through an old carport through an alley, and then it's in a building that's a half a block off of the main street. Okay. The only way you can find it is there's little neon Goldfinches. So you find the one on the street and then you duck through and you go down the alley and then you find one in a window and then you go around that corner and then the third bird is there with goldfinch written in neon. 
And I was like, this is exactly the experience. Like even finding the restaurant was kind of fucking cool. And then to have Wait that- a second. Go we on. went all the Wait a fucking second. Go on. Marnie and I went all the way down that fucking alley <laughs> and tried the door yeah. at that place. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I saw the photo of the neon and I thought it was just a random photo. Yeah. Marnie and I walked all the way down that alley because we smelled the food yep. and we were just wandering. And we went all the way down past, like there's bars on the right. You could see, right? There's some fine dining. Yep. 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 So we walked past that. We walked all the way down and we literally tried the door one of the days we were walking Crazy. Around. Wow, what are the odds? And like, uh, as we were walking up, uh, a waiter or a chef, I don't know, walked past us and looked at us a little funny. Like, he looked at us like this place isn't open, but didn't say anything. We walked all the way up and we tried the door. That's crazy. That's nuts. I had no idea. And it, yeah, the neon bird. Yep. Oh, shit. That's crazy. This is, yeah, this is the most LFE thing. This is the most LFE thing. <laughs> 100%. Because it took the way that I process and find things and the way that I talk to people about stuff and the way you process and find things and like talking to me and then talking to them and then arriving there. So at the end of the rainbow was a goldfinch. It's yes. hundred percent finch. It's also <laughs> side, side little piece of joy from that, uh, was, uh, I got to watch drew kind of fall in love with the bartender. Uh, and I don't see he's, he's a pretty stoic guy. Uh-huh. I don't get to see him get smitten very often. I've known him for over 20 years, and I've really seen him kind of fall for two people. And he could not stop. It was hilarious. <laughs> and she was absolutely stunning. And she made a hell of a cocktail. But it was also just really fun to, like, I'm watching my guy have a little schoolboy crush little right now. Crush. That's, yeah. Little, okay. And it was like, yeah. you know, when, when you don't get to see that side very often from your friends, it's like, oh, that's the cutest thing I've ever that's seen. That's adorable. So I was, just, I, was just, I was trying to wingman as hard as I could. I was like throwing out little jokes here and there. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, this is my guy. <laughs> it was so awesome. That's great. I hope Marnie listens to this because uh, I want her to hear how you arrived at this place that, like this weird loop. It's like a bow in the bowstring. Yeah. <laughs> that's we were, cool. I love it. We were a little toasty at the end of that night. And I, when I realized that we had forgotten our leftovers at the restaurant, I got actually emotional. Like I got a little choked oh, up. Oh, yeah. Because I really wanted to hit those beef cheeks in the morning. <laughs> Isolate that. <laughs> you really to clap I those wanted to beef make, cheeks? I wanted to clap those beef cheeks so bad. <laughs> Mama well, fucking cheers to clapping beef cheeks, I guess. Beef cheeks. Beef cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Uh, I love it. And I love that we were able, we probably never would have concluded that if mm-hmm. not for this conversation. Yep. So that's super cool. Live on the air. On the air. Okay, so this topic is loaded. This is uh, the five senses. Uh, I, here, I'm going to put it this way. Okay, I'll... Let's let's volley because it's so much to talk about just yep. in one yep. fell swoop. So this is overload. We don't, we don't usually go this hard, but it being the two of us, it's a little bit easier to do than if there were three or four people in the room. So best thing you tasted, smelled, saw, heard, and felt, tactile or emotional. Let's start with tasted. You go, I'll go, yep. and then we'll we'll go from there. Best thing I tasted while there. I, you know, I, I hate to admit this because that whole meal at Jordanada was one of the best meals I've ever had. 
but I think the best thing that I tasted was that pizza at Ruth's in Malmo, Sweden. Like, I think I, I, think I texted you this. Mm-hmm. When Drew and it, so they, you know, they served the pizza whole, but they had, you know, cut it. All right, what are the toppings? You didn't tell me what the pizza is. Okay. Oh, you're right. So they have this, the cold proof dough, and then um, the sauce that they make is straight San Marzano tomatoes and a little bit of salt. That's it. Uh, and then they make their own mozzarella cheese in-house. Um, it was sort of halfway between a ricotta and a mozzarella. Like, so a little solid, oh. but also a little soft. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, like it didn't have like full constitution. It correct. had a little bit of like uh, texture to it yep. almost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, nduja mm-hmm. and um, micro basil leaves. How do you and do you? Exactly. Uh, and when we both, so Drew and I both grabbed the pieces at the same time. And the crackle that the crust made, we both stopped and looked at each other and then giggled. And I honestly have had that experience maybe once or twice in my life where I heard the sound that my pizza made and I knew it was going to be good. And you could feel it. Oh, my God. And then we, we, we bit into it. So is that perfect? Like the point is floppy. But the crust held, like, if you just held the exact ends, it would hold absolutely steady. And then getting to eat all of that, the brightness of the tomatoes, the absolute beauty of the creaminess of that cheese, and then that, that really rich, unctuous, salty, a little bit spicy from the nduja was staggering. Like, I, we both were, like, marveling and stumbling over our words at how good that pizza was and like who the fuck would have thought like a, that was how the conversation started with the chef i was like i'm a fat guy from america and i'm having my mind blown by pizza in malmo sweden yeah i just wanted to thank you for that experience and he just started laughing and then he told us how he makes it and all that kind of shit it was it was wild and i i just kept going back to like i know that it seems lame because I want to give it to something, one of the amazing plates that we got at Yornar, but that fucking pizza, I still think about. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. I would go to Malmo, Sweden, just for that pizza. So that was that was the, the best thing I tasted. What about you? Dope. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously... D-O-U-G-H-P-E? Dope. Dope. It's obviously very difficult to quantify, never mind the... 16 stars upon which I grazed, but everything else that we consumed that had no, you know, bearing on that. Um, I will say that if I have to shoot from the hip, the, the pigeon that I had at Epicure. Dude, I looked at that picture for so long. Holy (laughs) fuck. I've never had a better bird. Like I've never had bird better prepared than that. And the interesting thing is with, like, the fatigue that we were experiencing, just in regard to appetite, we didn't do the tasting menu. And it was lunch at Epicure. And that pigeon is not on the tasting menu. So I locked into that, you know, again, like, dealing with your circumstances, making a decision. And they're they're really brilliant about, I, I don't know how many places do this. Perhaps it's more common in Paris. But if you wanted to split a dish, they, like, fully split the dish. Mm. Even with, uh, they had the best potatoes I've ever had in my life Mm. that comes in a caviar tin and the top is layered in caviar. 
So it looks like just caviar. Oh, let's go. And underneath are the most beautiful Robichon style creamy potatoes. Oh, yes, please. And then it comes with this little stand with this little twill, little cig- cigarello of um, like this crackly wheat cigar. And in the middle is just cream with um, very heavy lemon in it. So then you take a bite of that and it breaks it up. Anyways, mm. I'm digressing, but we didn't realize when they said, well, you want to share it? Well, Yep, we'll split the dish. And then it came out in two smaller tins instead of one big tin. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Oh, like these guys are on their fucking For game. real. And it made the the whole meal more digestible. So by the time that my last savory dish that I had at any of those Michelin star restaurants was the pigeon. What they do is they come out with a cross cut of a tree stump and a bunch of like uh, foliage, frond and shit. And then the whole bird with the head and everything freshly roasted they bring it and they present it to you and they show you and they say this is here is your pigeon we're gonna take it back to the kitchen and it will be prepared for you for consumption and then they turned around and i was like ah can i i'm that guy can i get a photo please and i take a photo in like a once literally a one second video because it was just a an amazing thing to behold and they brought it back out and it was both legs perfectly medium rare crackly skin and just cutting into that with the seasoning yeah. and just the flavor of it. And people say, like, you know, what's the difference between a squab, squab and a pigeon? Because a squab is a pigeon, but it's a, it's a young pigeon. This is a real pigeon. It's a whole-ass pigeon. It's not like they kicked one that was in the fountain, <laughs> which, by the way, was hanging out while I was eating it. I'm sorry, that's perverse, but <laughs> the, this is a full-grown pigeon. And just the... It's not perfect, a smidgen of pigeon. No, it was no smidgen whatsoever. <laughs> but the perfect crackly skin with the perfectly rendered layer of fat beneath it in that red meat. My mouth is watering as I'm saying. I'm literally like, uh, same. Like slicing that and not knowing how hungry I still was because I was so worried about my appetite those last couple days. I took a slice, plunked it into my mouth, set the fork down, leaned back. And we're sitting on the patio. It was our first patio dining experience. Perfect weather, full club caraway suit, my beautiful club caraway suit that I was wearing. My dark gray flannel and just lean back in my chair birds chirping sorry again and like butterflies floating around us sun shining and i just leaned back in my seat and i was like oh my fucking god i was suddenly it was i knew that appetite be damned it didn't even matter at that point because it was so good Mm -hmm. i knew every bite of that was going down and they brought out the bowl with the lemon slice in it and the water that you could dip your fingers in. And I am so appreciative of them for doing that because as they present that to you, they say, we just want you to know that it is perfectly yes, acceptable I'm, for you to eat this with your hands. very quietly telling you. So sliced off all of the thigh meat, gave Marnie a bite. She was like, wow, that's great. Similarly, not much appetite. And I was like, do you want any more? She said, no. And I said, thank you very much. Ate the rest of it. And then I grabbed both little legs, picked them up, chomped off every little bit of meat off those legs, set it down and looked at her. And I was like, what just happened? It was brilliant, brilliant. And then they had like the side that was this rolled cabbage that seemed to be marinated because it was like uh, very citrusy. Mm. I don't know what kind of cabbage it was, but it was like a very verdant green. Oh, and they also had little kofta balls that were made of the giblets. Oh, let's go! There's the other thing that I really adored. Is it? I don't know if people know this, but uh, there's a big Lebanese presence in Lebanon, and uh, sorry, in Paris. 
There were, oh, yeah. We probably saw like 30, 20 to 30 Lebanese restaurants. And the menu at Epicure has a lot of Middle Eastern ingredients, which I th- thought was really cool. And so they had those little kofta balls and the cabbage and that perfect, perfect, perfect pigeon. It's hard to say that anything was better than that, but it was a it was an absolute bounty. And I'm wildly privileged to be able to experience the meals that we experience. And even, you know, you talk about Jordanair, like that meal was that meal was perfect. Yep. You could not have improved nope. that meal that we had. Nope. That was a 100 out of 100 Absolutely. meal that we had. But it doesn't mean you can't say that the pizza was better. It doesn't mean I can't say the pigeon was better. But wow, what a what an adventure, totally. right? For us to be able to like pick and choose between perfection. Mm-hmm. What, what of all the perfect things was most perfect to Correct. you? And I, I, I am so thankful that that was like the last savory dish I had at a Michelin amazing restaurant i was like i'm gonna remember this forever also if we turn this into a podcast family if we start producing other shows we have to call ourselves studio giblet <laughs> i'll take it i'm here for that you know i'm on board <laughs> <with that. laughs> oh man what's what was the next what's the next sense i believe next was smell let me verify on my notes here <laughs> smell smell <sighs> Best smell. I think, ooh, man. You're just going to say pizza for all these. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, that would be fucking hilarious if you did, though. That would be the smell of the pizza. Pizza? Um, no, I, I really... Super Malmo? <laughs> I went Super Malmo. <laughs> Super Malmo Pizza Company. <laughs> it's it's, a, a it's a me. Uh, I am Malmo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think... God, I, you know, part of me wants to say that smell of late night kebabs and shawarma. It's hard to beat because that's so nostalgic for me. Like that was the end of every good night living in Norway. Was Should waiting, have said my arm, but that's cool. Right. I, I thought about it. <laughs> um, when s- things have changed in, in Oslo, but when I was living there, there, there was no Uber or anything like that. And the cabs are, it's, it's a nationalized cab so it's mm. government controlled yeah so there's just certain stands you don't call a cab to where you are you go to the taxi stand and you go home and there was a guy that set up a, a can be kebab can be space. A, a pain in the ass sometimes well it's brutal because depending where you are when all the bars close at the same time everybody empties out so you're going to be in line for a while i mean they do a good job but you know there's times where you're in line for half an hour just trying to get home and there was a guy that set up a kebab stand there and he had chicken shawarma or lamb gyro and that was just what you got while you were in line. And I didn't realize how tied to a, a good night that smell is for me. But it was, I smelled that every single night that we had a great night at the bars when you're waiting for that cab to go home. And to have that smell while we were wandering around, you know, trying to find which bridge we're going to go drink at, that was a, it was a very, very familiar and nostalgic smell for me. And I really, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I loved that. And it really was, like, I took joy in every single one of the uh, kebabs that I had because it, it was, A, a part of this wild adventure that I'm on, mm-hmm. but also a very direct corollary to one of the most wonderful times of my life. Yeah. And that was wonderful. I don't think, again, if you had asked me what I was looking forward to, I don't think I would have even thought about that. 
But in that moment, that was a very, very wonderful and comforting smell to me. What, uh, what about you? What, were, what was your smell? So your smell was the, the shawarma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, because I had some great shawarma experiences, including the, the, um, Dual the yield. slushy machine. Yeah, with hot the sauce. Hot sauce, slushy hot machine. Hot sauce, slushy machine. More of that, at please. At the first shawarma shop yeah. that I went to one night. And there's a funny-ass story about that that uh, evening that I'll tell another time. But uh, I'll be reductive, and I'll just say that in um, Copenhagen, just smelling the fragrant scent of clean sea salt in the air just that ocean water that'll always get me yeah that's something that i yearn for that uh i i go to san diego at least once a year and when i'm in san diego i feel that same sensation but just having that all around you particularly given that we were staying like right on the water at our hotel there's that i think that perhaps my my entire constitution biologically yearns for that. I mean, my Instagram handles, it came from the sea because I'm Lebanese, Lebanon's on the Mediterranean. That just puts me in the best possible mood, just experiencing that, being amidst it. Everything I was doing was fragranced by that, Mm -hmm. was perfumed by that. No matter what we were doing, that was in our environment whether we realize it or not, but when you did, when you're cognizant of that, including the very last evening we were in Copenhagen and we went to Geranium and their gift to us was two bottles of this uh, Pilsner that they have produced that has some kind of flower in it. Could it be a Geranium? Hey! I actually don't remember, but they gave us these two bottles, and they said, oh, you have luggage, right? You can pack them. We're going to Paris, and I'm like, I'm not going to pack two bottles of Pilsner. We're going to go chill them in the room in a bucket of ice, and we'll drink them in the room or figure out what we want to do with them. And again, we were fatigued. What ended up happening is we heard the booms of the fireworks at Tivoli Gardens. And (laughs) Kind of crazy having an amusement park in the middle of the downtown city who's celebrating their 180th anniversary. Like, wow. just fucking mind-blowing. Unbelievable. And so we heard the booms, like, the third time. And I looked at Marnie, and I said, let's go, let's go outside. Grab your beer. So we pulled them out of the ice, popped the tops, threw our shoes on real quick. We're wearing our pajamas, run outside, pitch dark, fireworks going off, drink our beers, and we started just walking down the the waterfront. And it was cool and dark and you could really smell it like it was just the temperature of the air that was like the perfect last evening experience was smelling that salty air drinking these beautiful perfect pilsners from geranium after we had had our final meal in the city and just walking around the city um the only people wearing their fucking sweatpants pajamas what have you but (laughs) That was perfect. And it's just, it was that element, that element that just makes you feel so comfortable. I got to, uh, <clears throat> that just reminded me of the, that, that night that we were all on the bridge hanging out and you guys all peeled off and it was just me and Drew and, and uh, Benya. I got to text a uh, former guest in the podcast, Billy McCarthy. Uh, if you could listen to that episode, we talked about how when him and I were at the cobblestone, 
they sent us with two Guinness to go drink by the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at two, two thirty in the morning, we were sitting, uh, like I'm literally sitting with one of my favorite musicians of all time, drinking Guinness and talking about life and watching the river pass by. And I got to text Billy from the bridge in Copenhagen mm. that I was having that experience again with this incredible chemical engineer slash chef and one of my best friends on earth. And it was just, it was such a beautiful thing. And I, I, I really wish we could figure out a way to embrace that in our culture because there's nothing like yeah. nobody's drinking to get hammered. Yeah. You're just having a beer and talking about life. And there's something so beautiful about watching water just pass underneath you. Uh, it, it, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something that that does to me at a molecular level. You know what that made me think of is my office is on the Mississippi river in Northeast Minneapolis and for years and years and years, I've been up there for 15 years and I lived across the street for seven years, having beers out on the docks behind my office in the middle of the night with your feet in the Mississippi river or smoking a cigar or what have you is one of my great joys in my adult life. And I don't do it nearly enough. And I didn't make that connection till this very moment. And it makes me mad that I don't do it more. And I'm going to make it a point to do that more for the rest of the summer. Well, I have a birthday coming up in three weeks. And I would like to ask you for that, for my birthday present, is let's grab a bucket of beers and go put our feet in the river and, and hang out. Because I'm let's here for that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to, speaking of drinking Carlsbergs, which is what we were doing that evening, I'm going to go upstairs and grab us two more Carlsbergs. Mm-hmm. You can continue uh, jiving. If, hey, Nate, you want to be the second two and a half time guest and jump on my mic while I run upstairs. Cause Hennessy was the other one. Yeah. Hennessy, Hennessy, Hennessy was a two and a half guest. Cause yep. he jumped on the mic in one episode where he was hanging out. So Nate, why don't you jump on the mic and maybe you can tell a little Europe story while I go upstairs and get us some beers. Nate, have you been to, to, uh, to Copenhagen? I have not been to Copenhagen. When was your, what was your last international trip? I have been, I have traveled internationally one time in my life. No kidding. One time. Wow. My wife and I took a trip with some friends to Rome and to the island of Crete. I'm so jealous. And one of the best drinking stories I've ever had was on the island of Crete. Our friends owned a timeshare and we were able to trade time. So it was a way we could economically go with, uh, Boy, our oldest daughter of five now at the time. So we had one kid. She was like 22 months old, and we left her home for three weeks, which was, uh, you know, you think of millennial parents now being away from their kids for three weeks, and they'll have an absolute aneurysm. Yep. That's crazy. <laughs> right? So she spent time with my parents and, her, and uh, my wife's parents. So we're staying at this resort that was part of the timeshare, and... Our friends just wanted to literally sit by the pool and not do much of anything. So they went with us one day. The rest of the days, like we were there seven days. We had a rental car, manual, which was fantastic on all these uh, Cretan mountain roads. I was just having a ball. So there's really only one, like the same dishes all over Europe. Like you go so many places and they have the same food. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, of course, Copenhagen would be different. Paris would be different. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those cultures have the same dishes. Mm -hmm. So we had one of two restaurants that we could go to. And then after we would have dinner, we would go to this bakery that was owned by a Dutch couple. 
And this Dutch couple worked like 16 hours a day, seven days a week for shit. I don't know how many months. Let's say they did that seven months out of the year, maybe eight. And then the rest of the year they took off. So we had a night we were drinking box wine. We had wine with dinner. We had kind of all the same stuff we normally had. And we got back to the resort. And the guy who was the manager of the resort, his name was Vasilis. Vasilis. As fate would have it, our favorite server at the restaurant we went to, his name was also Vasilis. <laughs> so we see Vasilis, and he's like, you guys want to drink? We're like, hell yeah, we want to drink. And there was another couple that was staying at the same resort. I, I can't for the life of me remember the, uh, the girl's name. And she was, we were at the time, we were in our mid-20s because we had our kids pretty young. And this woman was definitely older, second marriage, and her husband, Brian, from Atlanta, Brian, Brian, was sitting at the bar in the little lobby of this resort, and he's like, you guys want to do some drinking? And my buddy Joe and I were like, hell yeah, we want to do some drinking. So our wives kissed us goodnight, and they went up to bed, and Brian goes, Nate, what do you want to drink? And I'm like, let's drink some Rocky. So Rocky is basically like grape whiskey. It's it would the closest thing I can think of would be grappa. Sure. Um, it literally just tastes like clear whiskey. Mm-hmm. So we start doing shots of Rocky, and we're having a blast with Brian from Atlanta. So I don't know how many drinks we had after we'd already crushed a decent portion of a full box of wine with this lovely Dutch couple, and we'd had wine with dinner, and we're hammered. So we mosey our way back up through the resort to the second floor where our room is, and we are giggling our asses off. And the couple we went with, they had the main bedroom, and my wife and I had beds that were also couches. And (laughs) in my drunken stupor, I'm giggling, and I crawl into bed with my wife, and she's like, oh, hell no. You get out, get out, go to your bed. So I just like, oh, whatever. So I crawl into bed. The next morning... We were supposed to go deep sea fishing. And we'd already had like two days where the fishing had gotten canceled because the water was too rough. I'm still convinced it's a shtick and a way to rob tourists of their money. Yep. So we get on the bus and I feel like hot shit. And we're sitting about two thirds of the way back. There's no air conditioning. And all of a sudden I look at my buddy and I'm like, whoop. And I run to the front of the bus, made it to the garbage can, and I emptied every last bit of Rocky and wine and dinner that I had the night before. Bus driver pulled over. I neatly tied up up my garbage bag. I stepped out of the bus. I threw it in a garbage can that just happened to be right there. I got back on the bus. And we get down to the fishing boat. And the the guy in the boat's like, "Uh, no fishing today. Water is too rough. (laughs) We're like, what the hell? So we're like, whatever. So we go, and we decide to get breakfast, and we're in uh, this beautiful town on the east coast, basically the farthest east you can go on Crete, called Hanya. Uh, Was Hanya, or Hanya might have been the other end, but anyway, this beautiful little coastal town, and we have breakfast, and my buddy wants fresh squeezed orange juice. Well, on the island of Crete, they only have bitter oranges. So they look at him a little weird, and he's like, fresh squeezed oranges, you understand, right? Okay. So they bring him a giant 16-ounce glass of fresh-squeezed bitter bitter orange orange juice. 
and he takes a big old glug and almost throws up on the spot. He's like, Nate, there's something wrong with my orange juice. So I taste his orange juice. I was like, you dipshit. They only, they must only have bitter oranges here. You need to have like some sugar. And so he gets some sugar and it kind of was passable. So we sat there and basically baked off our hangovers in the sun while we waited for our brides to finish shopping. And for years and years and years after that, I sported uh, a couple of different rings from the island of Crete that my wife picked up for me. And then we were, thank God, sober by the time they picked us up. But that's... (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) The only time I've been to Europe was Greece or Crete and Rome. And we had, yeah, we had a blast. Oh, that's awesome. I love that so much. Also, you have you if you if you loved hearing his voice, we have two other episodes with our good friend Nathan Beck. Yes, <laughs> please listen, Charles. You Charles, want to sw- tag you back want in? To swing back in under the mic. Is Thank- uh, thanks for the uh, segue, you guys. Oh, thanks for being here, man. What do you think? Oh, you, are you digging the Aquavit? <laughs> this Aquavit is amazing. Yeah, and I will completely agree that first sips are like lots of dill, a little of that kind of pepperiness, and then that fruit comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Nady me matey. What's what's next? Saw? What what was the what was the most beautiful thing I why don't we find out? I done seat? Why don't we find out? Saw, yeah. Um yeah, seat. That whole Copenhagen is striking. It is a very, very beautiful city. Like, aesthetically, there's so much interesting to look at, whether it's, uh, you know, five, 600-year-old buildings. Like the whole thing was designed at once. Yeah. Uh, and then also all of the modern architecture. Like, there were, mm-hmm. there were some buildings that, like, almost didn't make sense to me. Yeah. With, with how, how, they, how they looked, how they were structured, trying to figure out how they stood there. Like, I, I, I really, really loved walking around. I think my favorite... The fa- my favorite thing that I saw was watching the sunrise a few of those nights. I, I, it was really, there was this weird sense of like, I can't believe I'm this fortunate that I get to do this in my life. And I love when I have nights that make me feel like that. I, I, I was the officiant for a wedding last night and there were two different moments, uh, in the, the, the after party that I thought that it's become sort of a, I've been trying to be more grateful, right? I've been trying to actively remind myself that this is real and you get to do this and how fucking fortunate are you? Mm-hmm. And to be able to see the sunrise three times in six nights was pretty, absolutely spectacular. And, I like getting up early and watching the sunrise, but I really love, I've seen a lot more sunrises that I stayed up for than I have, that I woke up for. And when you get to see when, when the, God, there's a, there's a Minneapolis singer songwriter named Brenda Weiler that has a, a, Oh, I'm going to, I'll look up the line. I'll figure it out later. But there's a, it's when the, when the sky dances from dusk till dawn is her line in that song. And all of a sudden the sky is a gorgeous blonde. I couldn't get that line out of my head Mm -hmm. because you're looking at the most beautiful, deep midnight blues. And then all of a sudden it kind of gets a little bit like turquoise green. And then 
those little like reds and oranges start streaking through and to have that be the coda on a really beautiful day that I got to spend with a bunch of people that I love and eating and walking. I mean, to put in 10 or 15 miles every day was pretty awesome. You know, to get all that exercise from biking or walking everywhere was pretty amazing. So I felt good. Like my body felt good because I got a ton of exercise every day. And then we met, we ate these amazing meals and to have it literally tied up in a gift with the most beautiful bow you've ever seen with this gorgeous, every color, literally that we can see the full Roy G Biv hitting the sky and then saying, all right, now I can, I can call it. Yes. That really, I, it affected me in a way that I was not prepared for. And I saved a picture of every single one of those sunrises and I've looked at them multiple times since I got home. It really, it really moved me like emotionally. And I love that. Understandably. So how about you? I, I wonder how many people don't realize that the Louvre itself is a massively historic yes. building. It's a palace that was built over a multitude of reigns in France. And visiting the Louvre itself and seeing all of the pieces that are contained within it is one thing, but actually absorbing the scope and majesty of the building and the property itself to me was incredibly fascinating. The scale of that structure is so much bigger than anything I can comprehend. It absolutely takes my breath away every time. Half our walk home after being in the gardens at the end of the grounds was walking back through the grounds of the Louvre to get back to the fucking streets. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like, I don't know exactly how that's like 0.4 miles. Yep. It's walking through all of that. It's absolutely mind boggling. And the art that is adorned on the walls and the structures and the way that it's built and understanding how it was built and why I think a lot of that is missed even by attendees that don't understand that. Our pathway to gaining access to the Louvre for this trip was via an English guided tour. Weeks were blocked out even when I looked months ago and I thought there was for, for some reason it was closed or I had no idea but uh, general admission online was just blocked out. And I was racking my brain to figure out a way we could get in there not that it would have ruined our trip if we didn't go there, but I have never been. Mm-hmm. And I found a way to filter tours, to dilute it to English language tours. And we found an English language tour. And our awesome tour guide gave us, firstly, before anything to do with any of the art, a history lesson about being in the underground where we were standing where the moat used to be and showing us the hearts that were emblazoned on each of the bricks that were laid because there's a way for um, builder groups to show that the, the work that they had done. And even the history, you know, things people don't know about, like the shape of the heart. Heart didn't used to mean love. Heart used to mean loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that a particular group used hearts on all their bricks was to show loyalty to the king. 
going through all that pathway and into each of the buildings and them showing us the various constructions, what was built when and why, the things that were burnt down, the places that battles were waged and that various uh, kings or presidents, uh, the barracks or the, the wings that they decided that they wanted to stay in. That alone historically is incredibly fascinating. But then when you look at like the, the motifs and paintings on the ceilings, those are the things that I photograph most. All the moldings and everything yeah. about the construction of this building is, that to me is the best piece of art at the Louvre is the Louvre. Is the Louvre itself. I, I've said the exact same thing. We saw Mona Lisa. Cool. There she is. Yep. I'm not walking through the fucking stanchions. I was telling Nate about this a couple hours ago. I'm not going to go stand there so that I can be there and get my Instagrammable photo from two feet yep. away. There are much better photos on Instagram right now, mm-hmm. and I can share them and say, I was there today. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We saw it from the side. We got a security guard yelling at people the whole while, like, how much can you really enjoy it? Yeah, right? totally. And you have this massive, like, uh, Jesus dining with his friends right behind on the opposite end of the room of where Mona Lisa is positioned that is, like, 30 by 20 feet. And no one's looking back. I, dude, I said the same thing it's, the last time we were there. I'm like, yeah. how is nobody is looking at this? This is insane. And even our tour guide said, we don't know why the Mona Lisa is the most famous art piece in this museum. Yep. They don't know. Nope. They don't know. I mean, the story of the Mona Lisa is... A little silly if you think yep. about it. Da Vinci wanted to do a painting unencumbered by notes. He was sick of edits. Maybe it should be my favorite because I can relate to him. But he was sick of getting edits from the this uh, Italian his sponsor gentleman who wanted his wife to be painted, and basically told him like, "Hey, bro, scope creep. All right, it's enough notes. No more notes. <laughs> scope creep. Scope creep. That is a term." <laughs> He's like, next pa- next version I bring you is the version. And he brought it to him, and dude was like, I don't like that, I don't like that. Da Vinci said, fuck it, I'm not selling this to you. I'm leaving. Packed up all his shit, moved to France, finished the painting the way he saw fit in France, and then exchanged hands a bunch mm-hmm. of times, and it ended up in the museum. Okay. Nobody knows why. It's the most famous painting mm-hmm. in the museum. It is a beautiful painting. Yeah. It's a really nice, I told Marty, it's like a very tasteful portrait of yep. Of this woman. It's a nice portrait. How cool is that? But for there to be this stanchion that was longer than the line for Iceland Air at Charles de Gaulle of people waiting to just, like, get to the front to get yelled at by the security guard to keep fucking moving, we went along the side with our tour guide and were able to see it from about 15 feet away. There it is. Very nice. Thank you very much. And then I looked up and around at all the awnings and the, the, the pillars and the precipices and the floors and that, like, observing that, the, just the, the majesty of that building. It's just fucking fascinating. And the history, I'm so happy that we did the tour because that's not really my vibe to do a, a tour. But she was excellent. Mm-hmm. And Marnie asked her, oh, are you an, uh, this was interesting at the beginning of the tour, are you a... Uh, uh, grad of like art school you go to college for art yes what college did you go to the college of the louvre and marnie said college of the louvre and she said yes nobody really knows that it exists uh she said all of these halls are I forgot the way she put it she said all these halls are trickled with my tears wow because of how hard it is yeah. and all the all the dissertations and things that you have to write as you gain your education because there's a college for the Louvre That's so to crazy. be able to be a part of that. And that honestly, system. that reinforces the scope of how big that really is. And what a big deal. Yeah. All of it is. 
Uh, and I know that, yes, it might be like hyper typical, say the Louvre, but like the Louvre itself, yep. the actual the grounds building. of the Louvre are spectacular. And that alone is worth the price of admission. And I've, I've said it since we've been there and I'll probably continue saying it, man, you could spend four or five whole days going through there and taking your time to focus on specific areas. The people who are there for three hours and run through and look at everything for five seconds, you will not absorb anything. I think that knowing that when I went in there and having the mentality that I have enabled me to sort of absorb the environment and that I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I kind of went in there with that perspective. And of course I saw a lot of incredible art pieces and, cool fucking daggers where I felt like Kratos. I wanted to like punch the glass and then like go kill some gargoyles and shit. But that, that the grounds are just unbelievable to behold. Totally. Yeah. I mean, when Jenny and I honeymooned in Paris, we had both been there separately and that was our first time being there together. And we walked the grounds of the Louvre without going in. And we walked around the Eiffel tower without going up because we had already done that, but it's worth being around those buildings, those structures because there's so much to take in. And then on top of it, you get a cross-section of humanity across the entire world, which also, great. Every language under the sun, every different group from the biggest tour groups to just backpackers that are, you know, taking a year off of college. It, I loved everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then where, where I think are we're we at Heard? What you heard? I'm going to... I'm hitting my daily double. There's got to be two answers for this for me. Yeah, because this is like the most robust topic <laughs> in the history of libations for everyone. So when I talked about uh, the aforementioned trip to Ireland, uh, the thing that stole my heart about Dublin was that music, or all of Ireland, is that music is baked into everything. Everywhere you go, you could hear the most amazing music, and it was encouraged for people to just play music. We touched down in Copenhagen in the middle of Jazz Fest. And everywhere that we went, you could hear jazz being played. And that was such a wonderful addition. And it's sad because I know the next time I go there, that won't be the case. But it was so great that basically all day, every day, wherever we were, you could hear jazz music emanating yeah, from somewhere. That jazz fest was just like all around us. Yeah, like people playing on boats, people playing outside, people playing in restaurants, people playing in bars. I texted you like the program. So Dude, wild. I texted you a two-page program on yep. a giant uh, like free bee printed zine. Yep. Like huge pages and it was tiny print. And I didn't realize until after I texted you those two pages of all the performances that there was another two pages. Correct. Like, it, I, I can't, I cannot convey how many musicians were in Copenhagen while we were Hundreds. there. And the fact that we got to catch a couple of those shows was incredible. Like, when... Um, it was everywhere. When Sophie and Chase's friend, who took our spots at Noma, when their friends brought us to Mojo and... It was just an open jam session for all of the artists. Like, that was breathtaking to get to see, like, people that literally didn't speak the same language and watching them sort of do, like, a mixture of, like, gestures and, and charades to figure out, like, what they were doing. Mm. But then as soon as they locked in, they didn't have to speak anymore. They were speaking jazz to each other, and it was so fucking beautiful to watch. I really loved that. All right, here's, okay, I'm going to layer this for you. 
even if you had thought of this previously, but the whole idea that you say, like, you wish your life had a soundtrack. Yeah. Everywhere you walked in the city, there was jazz playing. Mm-hmm. So everywhere you walked, there was, you walked into a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So when you were at a bar in a little atrium outdoors, jazz would be playing. And you would finish your Carlsberg, set it down on the bar. Thank you very much. And you'd walk out to, you know, this like parkway with a beer truck and a bunch of benches. There's another jazz band playing. Yeah. So you'd essentially segue from the soundtrack you'd been hearing to quietly dimming that sound to the rising sound of this other jazz band when you walked into this new experience you're about to embark upon. <laughs> Dude, for real. And, and on top of it, almost exclusively without a vocalist. There were a couple times yeah, that we heard singers. There's a lot of that. But yeah. for the most part, it was all instrumental. So it really did feel like a soundtrack. Like, it wasn't just a soundtrack. It was a score. Sure. Like, I had a score to my vacation. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. So that's like overall arching, but the second half of my daily double was I was really hurting about the Noma thing. And when that DJ asked if I would come back behind the bar and pick out some music, I knew what I had to do to make myself happy and it fucking worked. Like I knew that I'm going to pull medicine out of this shelf and hand it to him. He's going to put it on a record player and it's going to change how I feel. And I, I know that, but I can't get out of my head until that happens, and then it fucking did. And I'm sitting there enjoying this beautiful cocktail, talking to a 25-year-old bartender about how he looks at batching cocktails and what goes through his head when they're working on a new menu, and a Tribe Called Quest starts playing. (laughs) And then right after a Tribe Called Quest, an Art Pepper record plays that I picked out. And right after that a Black Milk record plays that I picked out after that. And I'm sitting in a city next to a friend of mine who I've known half of my life now, but I've only traveled with one other time. Mm -hmm. I'm licking some wounds on something that was very, very important to me that didn't happen. And all of a sudden, I'm sipping on this beautiful cocktail and my favorite music is playing on an absolutely beautiful custom system, audio system. And it was like, I just felt everything inside of me, like the ship that had just been riding the waves and going back and forth. I just felt the waters still. And that was the most wonderful feeling. And I, I hate that I'm that simplistic, that I know that that's what it's going to take to like make me feel better. But it was really beautiful to actually be able to do that. And I took a deep breath. Yeah, I closed my that. eyes. And I just listened to Q-Tip's voice. And it was like, yep. We're going to be fine. Like, that sucks. But you know what? I'm still in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. I'm still with Drew. I'm still sipping on a beautiful drink. I'm listening to this music. Fuck it, man. Like, if this isn't nice, I don't know what the fuck is. Let's go. And that was was it. But I, like, for how much of my life Tribe Called Quest has been a part of, to know that, like, that first needle drop instantly made me feel better was so reassuring and wonderful. 100%. You know, it was like a it was like a, a security blanket wrapped around me. I was like, yeah, we're going to be all right. You, why don't you retroactively daily double me? The, the second answer to the what didn't you do that you want to do is I didn't have any of the actual cocktail bar cocktails oh, yeah. in Copenhagen because we got cock-blocked by Boulder Dash. Yeah. 
And I didn't make it to Bird because we left Noma and you guys were at Bird and they were closing in 50 minutes and it was 1.8 miles away. So yeah. we were like, we can't do it. I didn't make it to Strom because we had to be at Geranium, which is, I had a really nice cocktail there. Um, and yeah, we, to just slightly digress and I'll, I'll take my punishment here, my shot, even though we drank like 10 shots now. Uh, we went to Balderdash, Drew, Quam, and myself and... <laughs> It was four o'clock, and we were like, "Oh, doors all barricaded. They don't, must not be open yet." And then I looked on maps. So I was, "Oh, they open at five. So we wandered and had some beers and went to an Irish pub. I lit a cigar. And yep. No, that was we went to the pub after. Oh, you're right. I lit a cigar. We walked around. We came back. And we're like, "Oh, five o'clock on the dot. Let's go. Five o one, five o two, five o three. I'm like, I'm checking their Instagram. So I checked their Instagram, and they're like, "We're on summer vacation. We're on holiday. And we were like, God." Damn it. Some bitch. Put a sign on the door, please. Yeah. Europe. <laughs> All of Europe. Europe. <laughs> and so we didn't make it to Balderdash. I didn't make it to Bird. I didn't make the Strom. So next time, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, for me, a sound, and I'll be perfunctory again, it's laughter. Um, I, I've said it before, even today on this recording, and I'll say it again. The human element despite all my stargazing and everything else that I experience and that I continue to experience on trips, the human element is the most important thing. If the city was vacant and it was, uh, speaking of Studio Ghibli, if it was spirited away and I was walking through the streets and there were stalls full of food and I was enjoying the food unencumbered by the human experience, like no one around me, I would not enjoy that in the least little bit. Okay, I would enjoy it a little bit. But, you know, food, good food. Mm -hmm. Good food's good, but... Being able to look someone in the eyes and say, thank you for this. Like, wow, what an incredible experience. Uh, that is so important to me. Uh, to the point that, like, again, with my obsession with making notes on trips, I made notes in Copenhagen that uh, when I'm dining, like the hospitality element and the exchange, and we talk about this with Hennessy every time he's on, the exchange of energy and the responsibility of each person, patron and, and the provider I feel like I, I want to be so effusive with my thanks. I want, I want to be the one to thank you. You don't need to thank me for anything. And then the interesting thing was when we were at Epicure, we were thanking the staff for uh, everything that they were doing for us. And at one point, um, one of the staff said to me, sir, uh, you don't ever have to thank us. We thank you. We thank, we're the ones who thank you. Wild. And I notice that every time, they pick up your dirty plate and they say, merci beaucoup. Like they say thank you to pick up your dirty plate. And I was like, dude, this is, oh man, I, I know what you're doing. I know what you're seeking to do here with like the perfection of your art and everything being like just so for like this guy over here in leather pants with a bun up that looks like an, a character from Ted Lasso. Or, or the backup bass player in Nightingale. Girls. Right. Like, <laughs> or Nightshade, sorry. But Nightshade. I'm, like, I'm like, you need to stop thanking me because I have to be the one to thank you because I'm, I have the privilege of experiencing this craft that you've worked so hard at. Major digression. But just like the, the laughter of friends old and new in particular and even the din of laughter around us and the clinking of glasses, which obviously, you know, if you know anything about this podcast is something that is near and dear to our hearts, but 
the I would say the crescendo of that would have been when we were at Barking Dog, when it was the most of us that were in a room at the same time. There were like, I don't know, 15 of us or something at that point. They were all convening in that bar for one last time where we were all together. And just the absolute um, happiness, the smiles and the laughter and the, the jovial nature of us cajoling and and telling one another anecdotes and about one another's lives me standing outside with max and talking to him about like uh how he missed his train but he saw the positive in it and him trying to like get his djing career uh off the skids and me saying like well quam's gonna be here soon and you need to talk to him about it and then him probably having a conversation with you about that as i slid this way and had a conversation with like chase about you know final fantasy or or like our lives and them living in the uk and how we should visit them and like just that the human element in like laughter so all the 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 highest peak of mutual enjoyment of one another's company that sound yep that's and in the moment it's hard to observe and give it the respect that it requires to refer back to the art and the food it's hard when there's that much laughter to give it the respect that it requires but that was one evening where i kept kind of taking myself out of my body mm-hmm. as though I was smoking an- angel sticks, looking down at myself and saying, hey, hey absorb this experience. Yeah. This is important. You are going to look back on this with so much joy that you should appreciate it as much, if not more right now than you will when you're at home in a week, a month, a year, a totally. decade. And think about the joy that this brought you. It, love it. Love it now as much as you will then. So that's, what I would say is that just the laughter, dude. Hell yeah, yeah. That night, getting into the, uh, I don't think you you must have been outside when we got into our our battle over accents. Yeah, and I didn't hear that. We were trying to see who could do the best different accents. Like it was so much fun. Yeah, and I'm, know, not, I'm not that I'm not good at accents, so I would have <laughs> I probably would have went outside. Well, we just you know <laughs> having left. people from all over Europe yeah. just chiming in and doing like a German guy doing his best. French accent, his best, like, New York accent. Uh, It was just, it was great. It was so much fun. And, like, just nothing but laughter. Because everybody could think of, like, how to do the accent, but then you also have to think of, like, what to say. And that was so much fun. Like, just laughing our asses off over the most insane, ridiculous things. It was great. Well, let's slide right into the, the last sensation. What is the best thing you felt? Tactile or otherwise? The boop. The boop. The boop. <laughs> the boop. I, I cannot stop thinking about oh, this. Oh, that's so it, good. Like, this is such a, a, a dumb, small oh, I'm story. I'm glad you're recounting this. But this really is, like, it's something that I will probably think about for the rest of my life. Um, we're at Yonar, and we had the, the co-owner is in charge of the hospitality. It's spelled like Jordanaire, if you're listening yeah. to this. By the way, we, we're trying to get the right pronunciations. They're very difficult to do. But. I just told them I'm going to say it the Norwegian way, and I'll stick yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying for listeners, yeah. it's, like, it's translatable in that way. Yeah. Jordnar. Um, yeah, it's like Jodna. Right? Like Jodna. Yep. We, um, so they do brigade service. So the whole, like, six chefs come in with every dish, and each one sets a single plate down, and then somebody sort of leads you in. This is what this dish is. This is what we do. And then on top of that, you have the co-owner 
coming in and checking on us, seeing how things are going. Yeah. Giving us, you know, a little bit of story about them and all that. And I would say, because we had, we had four snack courses before the actual dinner started. Mm-hmm. But I think it was two or three courses into the dinner. She was in the dining room. And she noticed, because all the place settings are to the right. And from the dining room, I saw her look over and see me. And she had tracked the fact that I was drinking everything with my left hand. And then that I was using my left hand f- for a fork. And very quietly, she just came in. And grabbed all my stuff and moved it to the left side, acknowledging the fact that I was left-handed. And then with her face, like, six inches away from mine, like, as she, like, bent over and moved everything, she looked me dead in the eyes, and she went, boop, and then walked away. And I don't, I don't even know how to articulate how much that meant, but to have somebody who cares about hospitality so much notice from the middle of the dining room that a diner in the private room is left-handed mm-hmm. is staggering. The fact that she made it so simple, like I didn't even realize what she was doing as she was doing it. I saw her too, and I was yeah. like, oh, what's happening? Like I literally thought I had knocked something or I had moved something, and she's like, this table is out of order. And then I realized as she finished, like, holy shit, I've heard about this. I didn't know that this actually happens. That is an elite level of hospitality that is truly caring for the human being but the boop shows a little bit of whimsy it shows a little bit of fun it shows a little bit of yes we take ourselves very seriously but i want you to understand where this is coming from yeah and just that little boop and her little red lipstick smile and then she walked away it was the most charming moment i think i've ever had at a restaurant and in her dope white suit and white suit. Dude, that, that off white cream suit with matching sneakers, so fucking dope. She looked like she would dispatch Uma Thurman. 100%. Like yeah. she probably had, what's, <laughs> what's the, the, um, the wire, like the Hitman oh, thing? Oh, shit. Like she for sure has the one in her wire. pocket. Yeah, the razor wire. She for sure has in her pocket. Like there are, there are corpses somewhere. Probably cut our fish with it. Yeah. Yes, 100%. (laughs) But I, to couple those two things, like I love nice things, but I also love taking a little bit of the air out of it and like having fun. Like at the end of the day, there should still be enjoyment. And to have a 15 second interaction with a human being Mm -hmm. that showed both of those things absolutely fucking moved me. Yes. Like I, that is the story I've told the most since we returned. And that is the thing. If, if I had to isolate that entire trip down to one memory, it might be that. Because it was, it was so caring and also fun. And yeah, especially in a dinner like that, yes. it, I just thought it was so perfect. So I'll say throughout, throughout all of the experiences in uh, Copenhagen, in particular of fine dining in the, the, the 10 stars that we consumed there, they are perfectionists, but the service is effortless yep. and wildly friendly and congenial. Nothing they seemed performative. You, it all, seemed like they were truly just doing this because they care. You never felt like your hand was in the wrong place or that your words were in the wrong place. Like every place that I dined 
in Copenhagen, they were right there with you. They were friendly and willing to meet your energy. If you wanted to laugh, they were willing to laugh. If you wanted to be serious, I'm sure they would have been serious. But everywhere we went, because I always kind of test that, because I know if I'm in an environment where it's highly formal and that's the way, you know, they're they're there to execute on a particular level. I'm not going to take them out of their zone. But everywhere we went, they met me on that that axis. If I was like joking with them, they joked right back with me, and you, that's uncommon. Yeah. But it seems like that's the way that they do things at restaurants there. It really was. It was. It was wonderful, and a a great like collective lesson on what hospitality really is to me. That was. It was wonderful, and I again, I'll carry that with me. And, and the fact that I get to call it the boop, like, it's so perfect. The it, boop. It, I, I'll, I'll just carry that with me forever. Where does, uh, where does the end of this question leave you? I'm going to get funky with the perfunctory again. Uh, the best thing that I experienced was uh, joy. And we worked really hard to be able to put ourselves in a position to do the types of things that we did on this trip. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that I find joy to be fleeting, but what I will say is that when I experience it, I hold it within my hands ever so gently like a butterfly and then let it go and hope to find another one somewhere down the road. I remember one morning when we were all drinking, we were out and bouncing around trying to figure out where to go next. And we had a really long walk and we ended up at a place called like the tap house or something. If you recall that evening. And then I went and got shawarma at the hot sauce uh, slushy machine and helped the kid find a train. Again, I'll tell that story some other day. And I ended up walking back with a guy that helped in that endeavor as well. And the sun was coming up. And he and I had to part ways at this cathedral where he was going straight and I was going due right. That's why I can pass the cathedral and the composition of all the experiences of that particular day culminated in me finally being by myself for the first time when I passed this beautiful cathedral that has probably been standing there for hundreds of years and looked up at the sky watching the sun peek up around the buildings I just like smiled really widely which is not something that I really do because that's just not the way my face is built first of all <laughs> but I just smiled and I said to myself out loud god damn it I am really happy that's amazing and just being able to feel that and observe it and to vocalize it and get a little bit of hitch in your giddy up and the way you're walking and you feel that shiver up your spine, you know, the sensation of butterflies is actually like a biological response. It's not like when people say feeling butterflies, it's actually your body does that to you. You feel like a shiver in your internal organs. It's a real thing. And I very much felt it in that moment. And that was probably the midway point of this entire adventure somewhere amidst that. And it was sort of like a thankfulness. Like I was kind of nodding to all of what we'd experienced also nodding to myself, giving myself permission to be happy and just really reveling in what a fucking great time yeah. we had and we're having and we're about to have. 
And that's something that, like, man, you got to cling tight to that. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter who you are, you know, listening to this, I don't care what it is. It could be a fucking roller dog that looks like that guy that you saw. In <laughs> it could be... Got a good story a about of, a bridge. Bag of hot Cheetos. It could be yep. seeing a fucking great movie or yep. seeing a jazz band for 10 minutes in the middle of a square in Copenhagen. It could be a glass of wine that isn't even that good, but you just really needed it and you enjoyed every fucking ounce of it. It could be seeing a friend for the first time in a year and wondering why you don't see each other more often, but instead of lingering on that, you think about how awesome it was to actually have the experience that you just had. Totally. So the context is not critical. It's the observation. And in that moment, I took a photo. And I don't do that a lot. Kwame, you do that a lot. Yeah. And I, I love that about you. Um, I take photos more purposefully, like centralized, like this is a thing I'm taking a photo of. But I took a photo at that moment. And I'll show it to you when we're done. But as I turn that corner, I took a photo of the sky around the corner of the cathedral. And you can see it in the photo and everything. And because at that moment, I was like, man, God damn it! I am really fucking happy. And that's something that when you feel that, nothing feels better. Yeah. No yeah. morsel of food or clap on the ass or on the beef cheeks. sip of a drink, then beef cheeks clapping. Or like that poop you really had to take or yeah. what have you. Nothing feels as good as when you're like, you're happy and you... No, you clap your hands. <laughs> no, you clap them cheeks. Clap them cheeks. <laughs> but just like knowing it and observing it and accepting it and acknowledging it, do more of that. Don't let the indoctrination of wherever it is that you live, if you live in a place that is akin to where we live, where you're kind of raised to believe like, oh, fucking tamp it down. Don't be, you know, don't be too effusive. Don't let the world tell you how to feel it, especially when you feel something like that, mm-hmm. grab that between your hands, hold it loosely like a butterfly and just like fucking observe it, mm-hmm. taste it, you know, like just fucking hold on to that. And maybe it'll last you a lifetime. Maybe it'll last you five minutes, but Doesn't matter. It's, you gotta, you gotta take those wins and propel them forward because what the fuck else are we doing here? Right. Right. Like you need to, you need to take those wins. I couldn't agree with you more. And 100% also agree with that feeling. It really was, it really was beautiful. And I feel like it's, it's a worthy cheers because that kind of leads us into the final question. Let's go. Uh, so three years, man. Let's go. If you wanted to look back on three years, What's, what's something that you've learned? What's something that you've felt? Like, what has three years of doing this kind of brought to you? It's become such an integral part of my, my life, not just sort of it's there, but it's an integral part of what I do. And the way my brain works is I'm always sort of addressing uh, – the fixtures, and this has become a fixture in my life, what, what I want to do about it, question ideas, things like that. So it's become central to my life for three years now. And it's hard to place like a value on it or, or even like a context on precisely that. Uh, I know we've had 
I think like we've done this on each year point where we're like, talk about a thing or a day or yeah. an experience. Or I, I think that uh, I will equate this to an experience in effect because we had a very big day uh, about six weeks ago where we just conducted an interview with a local publication and it was like the hits keep coming. Yep. Uh, we were like, do we go buy lottery tickets <laughs> that day? I don't know what it was. It was just, everything. it hit. was like a double rainbow when we were standing beneath both of them and just like one arm out grabbing each one going fucking super saiyan. If Goku could have rainbow colored hair, that would have been <laughs> us that, that day. But I think that that's the, again, trying to absorb the most positive culmination because not everything about what we're doing has been easy. I know it seems that way when you listen to us, but it hasn't mm. always been easy or simple or straightforward or, you know, what you hear is the final product. And I think what you hear is mostly like joy and, and like uh, jovialness and happiness. But that day was the day where, you know, we were about 10 paces away from where we are now because we were sitting in a couple seats mm -hmm. just across the room here. And it just like, it was one thing after another. And usually when people say that, they don't say it in a positive no. fashion. When people say it was one thing after another, it's super rare that that has a positive slant. And it was all positivity. Like fucking New Day. It was all positivity. I wish I had a trombone. I was just going to say, I wish I had a fucking trombone and a I video game a intro. <laughs> but that day, I feel like, is something that I will hearken upon, perhaps not forever, because we have so much more to accomplish. Correct. And God, maybe we'll have better days than that, but... I can't imagine how that might be possible because that was fucking perfect. Everything, every granule of news that was delivered to us. I'm not trying to vague book you because some of it was the the Beam Centauri Correct. stuff that we told you about today, about them becoming a sponsor. And we just did this incredible interview that will be published soon if you're listening to this live and some other news about um, some adventures we're going to be embarking upon in the fall. And that's like, I, I, I prefer to focus on that as opposed to, you know, the work that goes into this. That's like a great encapsulation. And it's not like a thesis statement of everything that we've done here, but it is like the perfect crown on top of all that we've efforted to accomplish here. And that's really like the vibe I have now three years in. Um, God, I can't believe that it's been three years. Isn't that but crazy? Three years and for us to be in the position that we're in and doing this because we love it and we love one another and we love our guests. Uh, that's enough. That is enough for us. We didn't need more. Does that mean we would do this forever just on the the notion of that or on, on that that framework? I don't know. Who knows? We don't, we don't need, to, the nice thing is we don't have to find out Correct. because things are happening for us. Like we have some news to deliver that we thought we might deliver today about a, an event we're doing very soon, which we'll probably tell you about in the next episode. But man, we're just fucking having fun. Mm -hmm. All this stuff to us is fun. Never mind like the fact that, sure, there are financial implications to having sponsors like 
Plift and and Beam Centauri, Beam Centauri, and Hightail, and like all the other mm-hmm. things that we have going for us. That is absolutely gravy to know beyond the fact that we have just those relationships, like being colloquially related to Beam Centauri for what we're doing here, dude. To get them to tip their cap to us. That's fucking cool. Fuck the money. Yeah. Like, that's that says so much about what we've been able to accomplish here. Yeah. And it's just like, that to to me, and I assure you also to Kwam, even though, you know, he can speak to that himself. That alone says, hey, you fucking, you're doing something. Mm-hmm. You're doing it. Like, we've had people tell mm-hmm. us, like, you're doing it. That's like one of the most flattering things that people say to us in day-to-day life when they say like, you guys are really doing something because I think we both have a personality where we don't necessarily see it. We don't, you know, it's not that we don't want to see it. It's that, you know, there is, despite our personalities on the show, we have some modesty about like our personal lives and our professional lives. And, you know, we're never unaware of like where we are. So when someone says like, you guys are really doing something, um, I take each of those comments to heart. Mm -hmm like deeply. Wow. Thank you. I mean, shit. I think I know, I think I know what I know, but when someone says that, it, it means something to me. Mm-hmm. And when Beam Santori says something like that, it means more than any of you motherfuckers say that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make it funny. Of course. But, yeah, dude, so that's, that's gotta be it. Wow. That day, that was a big, big day. It was a big day. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of similar uh, but I'll, I'll blow it out a little bit bigger, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I don't want to speak for you on this, but I'm going to say that one of the things that I think we shared in common when we came up with this idea is that in our own worlds, we're usually the ones that push something forward, right? Like with our groups of friends or whatever, it's usually like, I come up with some crazy idea and then I try and get the people I love to come along with. And I've, as I've gotten to know you more, I feel like you're the same person in that role. And I didn't truly, I didn't know how that was going to work with us. You know, I didn't know, is it complimentary? Is it, does it create friction? Like I didn't really get it. And to be honest, dude, I don't know if I've said this to you. Like it's been really refreshing to have somebody else who can drive the car. You know, like, I love the fact that one of us, like, it's great when we work together in chorus, but the fact is, like, we're both driven people who want to do things, and it makes it a whole lot easier for me to believe that we can continue to grow and do shit because I know who you are, and I know that you are wholly capable of hitting that gas pedal and driving that steering wheel if I'm not the one behind the wheel. Mm. And I have not had a lot of people in my life, uh, especially in professional pursuits, that that I felt like I could depend on for that. And it's been really gratifying and wonderful to see how well we've managed to sing in harmony. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, uh, again, for all the listeners, it's not like it's always super easy and we agree on everything, but... I think that you and I see things in the, so much the same way that it's really reminded me of how nice that is to have somebody else who can just push forward. Like, no, I yeah. think we're going to do this. Cause like there are times where I, like you see it on somebody's face when they're maybe not necessarily sure that they want to do the thing that you're 
saying we should do. And then they're just going to relent and say, oh, like, okay, because they don't want to have to push back. Mm -hmm. And I like that we're both, we're, we're, we're pushbackers. But at the same time, I've developed a level of trust in you that I have not had a whole lot in my life with, like, I believe in your intelligence and your view of the world. And if you're seeing something and I don't see that same thing, I am comfortable saying, you know what? I'm actually going to defer to Charles on this or the other way around where I think that you would trust me if I'm like, dude, we need to do this. I think, I think that you would be cool with it. Sure. Yeah. I like that because it's very rare for me. I've either had the people who were very good at that and we last for a little bit and then it has to break apart because they want to do one thing and I want to do another, or I just feel like I'm running people over and I haven't three years in, I still have never felt like that here. And I, I, I love that. And then watching what we're capable of when we put our strengths together is fucking frightening. Like <laughs> take prestige and all this shit out of it. The fact that like I've been able to make some of my favorite musicians into friends, strangers that I had never known before that live in the same city as me. Yeah. Have turned into people that like I text at a regular basis. Mm -hmm. All because we had one conversation for two and a half hours over a couple drinks and maybe a cigar. And what that has given to my life. And then on top of it, to hear from all of you out there, it's, it's just wonderful. It really, it, I, I loved DJing. I loved hearing 1,500 people lose their shit for whatever new song dropped in. That's a great feeling. But it was always fleeting. You know, it was always like great until the next night. Mm -hmm. This has given me something where it's a mixture of friendship and therapy and laughter and comedy and drinking like it's everything i love in life all smooshed into one little thing and it's it's literally changed my life and i love it and i cannot wait to share with all of you what's coming up like it's gonna be a wild wild summer into fall and we're gonna fucking do it and it, here we are it's gonna be juicy like a juicy grapefruit yes ma'am mm -mm -mm. Woo. Well, uh, let me cheers you with some delicious Mulberry Rose Occupants. Veets in the streets. I will yeet that veet in any street. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, well, thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. Uh, I haven't said it in a while. If you feel like giving us a review... Uh, cool. If you feel like sharing it with your friends, awesome. If you tag us, we will repost whatever you guys tag. So just uh, tag us and something, and we'll uh, we'll repost it too. And uh, there's more travel coming. So if you want us to come to your city, holler about that too. Please we do. got uh, we got some stuff for the rest of this year kind of figured out. But going into 2024, all I see is more travel on the docket. So let's yeah. go. As ever, Charles at libationsforeveryone.com. We don't always say that when we're like, yep. send us a message because you can message us on the socials, but we know that many of you don't follow us there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. same thing for me. It's Ben at libationsforeveryone.com. Yep. But yeah, uh, let us know where you want us to go. And until then, we'll just keep booking crazy shit and having people on. Uh, yeah. Embarking on year three. <laughs> so crazy. Let's go. All right. We love y'all. We'll see you soon.